Good morning. it is for y'all welcome back to the third place it's it's been a hot minute since i've recorded it's been about a week and a half i believe but i'm super excited about tonight's or this morning i don't know this episode and i have an incredibly special guest with me he is the king of the good morning post he (laughs) is the wizard of photoshop it's the one and only Fryan. How you doing, Fryan? Good evening, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so good. I'm so good. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to the third place. Um, yeah, I'm having a great night. How are you? Oh, I'm just peachy keen, as they say. <laughs> uh, I. It's it's always a treat because. Like Alex, last time, you are legit one of the most important people in my lives. We quite literally talk every single day. We are constantly messaging each other uh, every single day. We're talking about quite literally anything. Like, I, I love that aspect about you, your Twitter presence, whatever. You are incredible. You're legitimately one of the funniest people that I know. You have a wit that is quite honestly unmatched. I feel like you, I mean, needless to say, if anyone follows you, you are the greatest good morning poster because you are constantly <laughs> posting good mornings with some various gay erotica picture. Yes. And, some, <laughs> some, and somehow it is a new picture every day. I don't think you've ever posted the same thing. There's there's literally been one time that I've posted a, the same picture, and one of my one of my mutuals, Derek, he uh, call, he literally called me on it. I was like, "How did you even catch this?" <laughs> Listen, we keep an eye on Fryan's wood mornings, if, if as you will, but yes. quite literally, you are one of the funniest people, one of the most kind and caring people I know, and mm. I legitimately could not think of someone better for tonight's episode which is all dedicated to the legendary fighting series tekken (laughs) but before we get into tekken i want to ask you your history with gaming where does it start for you where what is your sort of gaming journey to today well i would just like to start by saying thank you you're incredibly sweet i love you to death we've yeah, like like you said, we quite literally have been talking to each other every single day for like 
two years at this point two yeah like two years straight like <laughs> i remember you yeah. like when i first like found out who you were barged onto the scene yeah you were and you were still like posting like photos of yourself with censored eyes <laughs> you weren't really showing your full face but i was like who is this beautiful bearded giant man who's like <laughs> posting pictures from the lake like he's pa- while he's paddle boarding and all this shit <laughs> collecting pockets full of golf balls at oh, the bottom yeah. of the lake oh, the, the beautiful <laughs> the beautiful golf balls <laughs> yes so i'm incredibly happy and privileged and honored to be a part of this um yeah i just want to start by saying that the first four episodes of this show sam have been incredible um the fact that you know you've gotten jack and zach and then the agitator boys and alex some of like the most um unique and powerful and like dynamic voices and posters on the internet period not just like our little niche area of twitter but like the entire internet Mm -hmm. um some of the most powerful podcasters of all like i i'm just so happy to be considered and even to be a part of your project sam like i'm so happy for you and (laughs) um i'm rambling but i'm just super excited to be a part of this and i knew one day that you would (laughs) create a podcast I knew one day you would find your voice, and I'm so happy that it's the third place. The gamer eventually was going to take the podcast, Mike. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now they can't take it away from him. <laughs> Literally. Just like the, just like the controller. <laughs> exactly. It's glued. My headset is glued to my, he- my head, and I can't stop uh, talking about random video games that uh, I truly love, and it's, you know... I- I wanted very uh, from the start. I wanted to make very clear people who are influences on me. You know, I can't say it enough how much. Obviously, people like Jack, Zach, Agitator guys, Alex, or you know, people like Armenian. You know mm. how much they command such a powerful presence, and you know, to think that little old me. Uh, <laughs> was able to get these people on and help help shape this show in its early days uh it's kind of crazy to think about especially now that we're on episode five now uh but again i i couldn't think of anyone better for tekken since you are probably the one who influenced me to get into tekken proper yes <laughs> uh, but we will save tekken for a bit because this is going to be a long one but uh I remember we were te- we were texting. It was like a few days ago, I think. You were telling me your earliest memories with games started with the 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 original NES, which is something no one's really talked about on the show yet. So I want to hear I want to hear it all. I want to hear the Brian Gamer journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> we were texting about it because I was being so lame and recording myself like doing a monologue <laughs> preparing for <laughs> preparing to talk about my video game history um so yeah i began earliest memories of gaming were the original nintendo system the nes like i had 
I had so many cartridges for that machine. It's unbelievable. Like, but the ones that like really stick out in my mind are obviously like the original Mario Brothers, mm-hmm. and then like um, a couple of other like really important ones to me were um, the games with like the light gun. So I had Duck Hunt, and I w- I loved Duck Hunt. I even had the uh, Duck Hunt car- or the cartridge that had both super mario or the mario brothers on it and duck hunt on it i didn't know oh. if you knew that was a thing but that's uh, definitely a thing <laughs> yeah. did now now my question is were you were you one of the lucky kids to get robbed the robot Mm-mm. oh that's unfortunate because i know no that that was like one of the things that the the original nes because you know back then gaming had a period where it was kind of dead prior to it because the Atari 2600 kind of crashed the industry. Right. Uh, but in order to get, win people over in America, Nintendo bundled in little old Rob the Robot, which only Rob was only compatible for like three games, and Rob wasn't exactly re- reliable from my memory. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I love just the image of like a console coming in with a little toy robot that could be your player two in, certain, in three games. It was a very cute thing like i love i love how this whole period there was a a fascination with light gun games like you know even up to even today they're still doing essentially the same thing just like you know virtual reality stuff and all that like but there's you know games like time splitters i think is the name like on the saturn like i I remember i remember like uh the eye toy on ps2 like how just there's always this there's always been this push for games to have this sort of like interactive beyond the controller mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm glad it's always fun to hear like this early perspective with games like a simple little nes that's could only do like a handful of colors and a handful of squares to represent players and yep. i love and i love that that's where you started you know that's what i love is that anybody everybody has their own sort of unique starting point with games, whether it be like the game that started it all or the console that started it all. And I like to, I'm glad that there's an NES head out there like yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like I remember I was probably like thinking back, I was probably like four, five years old, maybe like probably at my oldest playing that probably like seven. Mm -hmm. So very, very, very early in my life. That was a part of like, my home and my home entertainment system um yeah like duck hunt with the light gun another game that i remember like vividly with the light gun was um it was called hogan's alley and it was like mm-hmm. you were basically like a, a like cia agent in training and it was like basically like a shooting gallery type game where you would have to like shoot the criminals and avoid the you know avoid the uh innocent people and like shoot targets and like shoot a can and keep the can in the air for as long as you could like all these different like skill shooting games it was really fun Mm -hmm. and oh speak i while you were talking i have my one nes game and it's metal gear of course yes of course it is yeah uh i i love i love cartridges like i love you know i obviously love you know you know how the modern game is now like disc based sort of thing mm-hmm. but I, I, there's always like a very like a very comforting sort of energy like to have like an nes cartridge because these things are beefy like they're they are pretty big they're like 
and I have big hands and like the yeah. NES cartridge fits my hand. Like, yeah, they, they were freaking bricks. Yeah. Like... <laughs> and they're bricks, but like, I love how the, the, when I look at them, they kind of look like a, a kind of a mix between a computer chip and a floppy disk that you just totally. insert to the system. And it could, you know, obviously a game is like you pop it in and it's like, Oh, it can only play the game sort of thing. But like, this really feels like a floppy disk where it's like, you put it in, this is the only thing that the NES could do. <laughs> exactly. Like, um, but then I and remember, then of course, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. You go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, and of course I remember obviously as any kid that had one of those NES nose of like blowing on the cartridges if it wasn't reading it and like trying to make it work and get yeah, the dust yeah. out of the, it <laughs> the blowing the cartridge oh man and mm. that even that even that stuck through for a long time like you know because nintendo didn't really let go of cartridges honestly no, no they actually never really have discarded cartridges they've they've kept cartridges on their handhelds even to now with the switch like they've never oh, yeah, that is a good point yeah they've never they've never abandoned the concept of the cartridge, which that's something that I do admire that there is sort of like a, a little bit of a connection to the past in that sense. But I love how the concept of blowing the cartridge <laughs> has even persisted to this day to the point where the switch, I remember, I don't know if you knew this, but when the switch was coming out, there was a bunch of just retarded articles saying, don't put the switch cartridge in your mouth because it, they specifically coded the switch cartridge to taste like acid or something <laughs> so that to, to deter kids from putting it in their mouths and i'm like you know what like i i respect i respect on some sense the like the one game journalist that put a switch cartridge in their mouth to taste it like <laughs> you know that that kind of gives me like a weird fear factor like adjacent uh experience be like wonder if i did that what what would happen if i tried this out but i am i don't want that for me you know no i don't want the... that I, i'm about to go up to my room and get pokemon let's go and put it in my mouth <laughs> and then you just go to work and be like what's in your mouth and you just like open it and it's just pokemon <laughs> but uh then you also told me about your experience with the super nintendo which I think the Super Nintendo is a legendary console because it it, it really it started to experiment with the idea that games were they were kind of inching towards that they were more than just like kids entertainment. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, you had the proliferation of JRPGs coming over and kind of like that beginning of planting the seed of like exposing Westerners to like Japanese media. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to hear this story, this side of the story with the Super Nintendo and Fryan. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, just like the natural progression throughout my childhood was discarding, well, not discarding, but trading the old for the new. So we kept the NES around in my house, but then we ended up getting the shiny new Super NES. And that was the, yeah, everything was just like, new mind-boggling shiny new so much with, more detail so much more color like with the purple the purple buttons and the, the new purple buttons and the and the new and the new controller where it instead of just two buttons now it's four and you got yep. shoulder buttons like uh i 
I love the I love this point in gaming because they still had controls were still evolving, and so like, you know, you had like the the Super Nintendo which had six buttons in total, and then you had like the Genesis with its kidney bean shaped uh, layout with three buttons, and yeah. I I love how controllers had an identity, and the Super Nintendo to me has always seemed really sleek, even to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always got this sort of like elegant it, it kind of weirdly reminds me of like i don't know why but it reminds me of like a car in a way like it has this very japanese sleekness to it and i love just the little purple accents everywhere like yeah i don't think uh, it's because nintendo's like the red like nintendo red is the sort of color they have but like at one point they were purple i guess yeah big yeah the big purple like on off button and then the big purple like uh reset reset. button yep (laughs) yeah so i mean it's like it was just mind-boggling and like totally totally different than what i was used to because it's like yeah like adding in like full character detail and all these different like a full spectrum of colors so they could create all these incredible worlds and one of the best examples like from my childhood of playing the Super Nintendo was just the incredible Super Mario world with that they uh-huh. created. One of the like, most iconic Mario games in that franchise. Oh, yeah. Um like by far. And then like Super Mario uh World Two. And then it went it just went from there like it it seemed like the it started to seem like like the possibilities for gaming were endless like not only for like these like giant platforming popular games which then turned into Mario Kart which i also loved <laughs> and enjoyed like as a kid like the very first Mario Kart was incredible mm-hmm. um and then like that's when i you know that's when i started to realize that you could also with the Nintendo or with the Super Nintendo, you were also starting to see like arcade games coming home, right? Yeah. Like even even more than like the the Nintendo Entertainment System with their limited like ability to bring arcade games to the home. Like that's when I started to get into like the fighting genre. Like I first discovered, you know street fighter when i was a kid like at the pizza parlor and i Uh I could what i could rent street fighter and bring it home like what are you kidding me yeah my my favorite arcade game at the time i could like bring it home with me this is incredible yeah and that that was kind of the that was like the period where like i remember like the genesis would uh, advertise like you could one of the main genesis is genocide i don't know but one of the main (laughs) main advertising points about the genesis is you could bring home sega's arcade games like yes there was a real push because the arcades were back in the day like they you know because like today you know pcs are used as like sort of the graphical benchmark you know because there's always the new computer chips that like raise graphics to the next bar sort of thing. But mm-hmm. back in the day, it was, I w- I, in my opinion, the arcade was really kind of like the measuring stone of like graphics and abilities, you know, and to be, you know, bring home uh, Street Fighter 2 to the home, oh. I think was a huge sort of turning point and it allowed developers to 
really push their systems to the limit. I mean, back in the day, it was like, who could have the best arcade port? Like there was the whole debacle about uh, the Genesis had the bloodier version of Mortal Kombat on it. It's Super Nintendo. You had to get the code to get the blood unlocked or, uh, you know, Street Fighter 2 or like all the seemingly million iterations of Street Fighter 2 coming to consoles. It's like, who can bring home the best arcade experience to the home and you know you there's like sort of this push to see who can bring arcade to the home and whether it's sega nintendo or eventually sony it's like you know the arcade was still a very powerful selling tool back in the day and i think you know it's it's such a cool moment in history i guess for games is that arcade experience and you know Tekken obviously has a big part of this, and we'll get to it in a little bit. But uh, it's safe to say that for you, you were primarily a Nintendo kid growing up. Like you, if I remember, you know, in our constant texting, like you told me about like your sort of experience with the N sixty four. But I, mm. what what was this? Because did you have a, a PlayStation? Uh, the first one when you were growing up i can't remember off the top of my head yeah 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 so it was a nintendo entertainment system nes n64 and then like that was like simultaneous with the time that we also had a playstation one in the house too because mm-hmm. those were those were kind of out at around the same time correct yeah the playstation one came out in 1995 then the mm-hmm. n64 came out in 96 yeah yeah so um, i had both of those kind of in the home simultaneously the n64 was kind of more directed towards my brother and i we had it in our bedroom yeah and um the n6 or the playstation was quote unquote like my dad's console it was in (laughs) it was in it was in like my parents bedroom um so the 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 N64 was more accessible to me. Like I was able to play it more often, but because it was like in my bedroom and I could just play it whenever I wanted. And then it was kind of like a special thing that my brother and I would like play the PlayStation one, like in the early days of us having it, like with my dad or like getting special permission to be in my parents' room and like play the <laughs> play the PlayStation on their TV and like all that stuff. So um, yeah, um, I personally like my gaming experience i don't really i guess you can say i'm more of like a nintendo person but like i've had i you know i've I've dips in the playstation pool yeah i'm very versatile like that (laughs) (laughs) i've i've gone from like the sony to like the i've had an xbox 360 at 1.2 so uh, he he's truly a vers- versatile person, <laughs> listeners at home. He can he can pick whatever system he wants at whatever mood. <laughs> but I, I I always love that there's there's seemingly a lot of stories online about how like the PlayStation was like the dad system, like the dad like was the only like the one who got the PlayStation in some families, and I I love that just and it fits in with the sort of PlayStation identity of being like a system more for like teenagers and adults with all the sort of different games for it that were kind of pushing boundaries. You know, obviously I've talked about like Metal Gear Solid, you have Silent Hill, you have all, all the JRPGs that came out for it. 
you know, I, I love that sort of there's a connective tissue of dads being the one who had PlayStations back in the day. And I'm glad that you sort of had that experience, too. Oh, yeah, totally. And I mean, it totally and you're totally right. Like it fits kind of like the overarching theme so far, especially from like the first episode where you and Jack were just kind of talking about how it like how the PlayStation one revolutionized like the um the outlook of like what gaming means and like who it's directed towards and yeah the PlayStation one was totally marketed towards yeah like late teenagers early 20 somethings and then yeah dads adults like it was gaming for adults and it just kind of just like really especially the games that were present in my house that my um from for PlayStation just very like adult themed like um <laughs> and when i say adult themed i mean like just like mature games like mm-hmm. um like socom navy seals like oh, yeah. shooter like shooters like that and then like my dad and my brother were obsessed with this like three game series that i remember um called siphon filter oh and yeah yep yep they I were know obsessed with those games i spent hours just watching them play because they were really good at it and it was just a really cool story too yeah i mean i that the whole obviously like the ps1 is just kind of like a special little thing as i i look at it right here next to me i brought it out for the occasion since tekken has such a deep history with the playstation not just the first one but other systems but you know there's so many i love how the playstation one introduced the concept that like not only do you have games for everyone but you have games that are kind of like can get every sort of age range of guy into it i mean Mm -hmm. you can look at like the tomb raider games seemingly pulling every horny guy off the streets (laughs) and looking at cgi laura uh you have obviously the final fantasy you know final fantasy 7 8 9 pulling in a unique audience or fear effect mm-hmm. chrono cross or grand turismo 2 grand turismo 1 2 kind of spawning or helping spawn like car culture here in america yeah you know, i was just you, gonna mention yeah, grand turismo is huge yeah or you have like parasite eve or resident evil kind of birthing the sort of horror aesthetic up in silent hill obviously like there's such a wide range of experiences that you could just say like, okay, I'm, I am a, you know, horror game aficionado. I have a ton of games that are just made for me or, you know, or you ha- I have all these racing games for me. I have all these shooter games for me. Like I, I love how the PlayStation kind of opened the door for every guy to have its, their own unique, storyline with and and that continued obviously with the older systems i mean you know the playstation 2 really was the system for guys of mm-hmm. all ages i mean when when you release a console and in the first year you have grand theft auto 3 come out <laughs> and like kind of throw everyone for a loop about what what you could allow in a game i i specifically look at a i don't know if you may have heard of it, it's called BMX XXX. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, like the fact that that game exists is such a cool like niche thing that like exists 
and I'm great. I'm grateful for BMX triple, you know, XXX existing or, you know, you <laughs> or have... what about, uh, it reminds me of, I think it was called dead or alive. Yep. Volleyball. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Dead or <laughs> alive. Volleyball. Hot dead of alive characters are just playing beach volleyball. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, the, the, this is something that like, obviously in the age where it's like, people are telling women that like games are made for them too and it's like you know they i this is a recurring theme of my misogyny being expelled from my body with uh every episode but it's like you look at all the like and this is something too when we when we talk about tekken because we uh we did a fun little game but we'll get to there but it's like yes, we will stay tuned like, listeners <laughs> <laughs> but like the point being is like up until I would say maybe 2013 to 2015, like game characters were like specifically designed to be appealing, sexual, like thing people that you wanted to like admire and appreciate and idolize or sexualize or whatever. You know, obviously, for example, as I said, Laura Croft, that's like they want to titillate every guy in a planet and or you have a game like let's say God of War where you're playing as a beefcake rage you know rageaholic who gets to take over gods of Olympus in Greek Greek mythology it's like you know there's this sort of like role playing element with games and uh you know speaking about our topic tonight Tekken very much is that where it's like these characters are so vivid beautiful and gorgeous to look at and they're it's like it makes you want to main them you want to learn their combos you want to learn their story you're invested through their whole thing you know a series that is almost in a few years 30 years long you know creating characters that are just beautiful i think is Mm -hmm. allows is something is a lost art form where it's like you have so many games now that are just creating women with the buzz side cut and they're like (laughs) They got their no makeup look. They have like <laughs> square like bodies and they're purposely designed to be like unoffensive and not intimidating as to make the female playing the game not feel bad about themselves. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I miss this period where games like where it's like women, not just obviously like the female characters is an easy point to talk about, but it's like even the male characters where they're designed to be like the coolest motherfuckers on the planet that you just want to be like, I like this character. I'm going to stick with him or her for the rest Mm -hmm. of whether if it's a fighting game where it's like you devote, you know, tens of hundreds of hours learning how they play or to an action game where you're just invested in their story for 10 to 20 hours or an RPG. That's like a hundred hours. Like I think there's a, a beautiful, even even with PlayStation One and its blocky ass graphics, <laughs> you you can latch on to beautiful characters. Um, but yeah, I uh, I I love your specific story with gaming. You know, it's always fun to hear everyone's unique perspective on games. I mean, obviously, I have my own with being a PlayStation fanatic. I guess at this point, it's you know the secret is out. I guess it's not really a secret. <laughs> <laughs> but um i think this is a good point uh to talk about the arcades yes we'll break there for a second 
Okay. Hard to say if I'll I'll probably put in like something an interlude, but if you need a break, uh, take it, or else we can just keep on rolling. Um, I think I'm good for now. All right, so <coughs> I'm gonna have to think like how I'm gonna like <coughs> what I'm gonna put here. I'll so like my something. yeah, so like I'm just trying to think of like what I'm gonna say because like my experience of like arcades is mainly just like family night out at like pizza parlors and like uh the arcade the arcades that you know used to be in like the malls and like the movie theaters that i would go to um mm-hmm. yeah i mean i guess yeah i mean i guess that's totally fine because it's like what it was i mean that's that's my experience uh-huh yeah i mean yeah. it's just because i'm not like I'm obviously not like I'm sorry I keep like <laughs> I'm obviously not like as um like knowledgeable on like history of like actual like factual stuff but mine's like all like anecdotal and just like here's my experience this is this yeah. is my live this is my truth <laughs> yeah I mean that's all I, I mean literally like just say your sort of experience like memories or you know anything like that you know okay. that's really really the thing is the arcade what made it special why has you know just why is the arcade like in any form whether if it is a specific arcade room building or a pizza Mm. parlor or a movie theater what 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 continues to have the or even a barcade you know Uh, I was gonna, I was gonna kind of rag on barcades. <laughs> I think they deserve ragging, but I think they are a net, they are a net positive. I think, I think so too. Like the fact that arcade, sure. I, I mean, the concept of drinking and playing arcade games, I'm all for it. Like, I Same. think that's fun. I think just the sort of aesthetic, the intention kind of seems kind of like, eh, okay, you're trying to like. It's like the micro brew. I don't know. Like it reminds no, me of exact- micro brewing. Yeah, totally. It's like the, it's like uh, the famous like uh, neoliberal trope from Perfume Nationalist. It's like a continuing theme where everything is like <laughs> the neoliberal door. Like everything is like a brick wall with like raw iron and pallets and like the Edison light bulbs and like that's the kind of like uh theme and the kind of like people that are attracted to barcades unfortunately you know what I mean yeah I mean (laughs) the hipster aesthetic (laughs) I think uh I think I think having arcades still around in any form is a is a good for culture yep I just think that like we need to bring back like the arcade, not just mm. like give a reason, give like a reason for the arcade. Like, oh, you have to be drinking with your buddies, right? Which uh, it's so tricky to like say, like, because I like the idea of drinking with your buddies playing arcade games, of course. But like, it there's just kind of like a weird like thing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I may, maybe I'll come give get the idea of what I'm trying to say. Um, but yeah, so far, this is exactly what I want. <laughs> Yay, I'm so happy. <laughs> Am I doing <Yeah>. okay? <laughs> oh, you're, you're doing perfect. Yeah. I mean, 
Oh shit. <laughs> These vodka sodas sure were fizzy. What do you yeah, what what are they? I from there from the ABC store, they're just vodka soda ready to drinks. Nice. They're cucumber flavored. Ooh. They're pretty good. Mm-hmm. I've, these have been my go-tos for the episodes. Nice. Uh, as, yeah, I was uh, wondering if you were. I was wondering if you were like actually mixing drinks or oh. if you were doing like ready-made stuff. Oh, I mean, one day I'll do that. But <laughs> I'm I'm kind of lazy. I'm just like I want drink. No, it's like crazy how many like ready-made cocktails there are nowadays. Like canned, bottled. Like you can get like um ready-made like bullet bourbon like old fashions now like it's like it's like 13 dollars for a bottle and it's like ready to go and they're so good yeah (laughs) i've got a ready-made moscow mules like in copper copper cans yes there's a there's a really good ginger beer company um called reeds and they make a really good ready-made moscow mule and it's incredible uh-huh yeah i mean so good. Uh, yeah the there's like there's so many other ready-made stuff in like the cocktail section of the of the abc store i mean mm-hmm. you know i think it's always fun to have some drinks talk about games it feels very I mean, that's the whole point of the show is to kind of reintroduce the concept of talking with your guy friends about games. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I That's like one of my favorite parts about it is that you're just literally talking to your friends about things that you enjoy, like you normally would. And, and literally like just like a normal conversation, like two friends would have too. There's nothing fake. There's nothing um, like staged about it. There's nothing like, you know, your typical npr podcast about gaming like there's nothing like that it's all yeah so genuine and just like um just yeah just normal and fun yeah um i don't know if I'm, i might include this talk who knows we'll see i'd my yeah, why sh- not? this I mean... this, <laughs> this this show is the concept of cut as little as possible so yeah we were we'll supposed see. to be taking a break right now people <laughs> yeah this is extra content be lucky i don't have a patreon just yet <laughs> patreon exclusive <laughs> yeah yeah uh, soon soon in the future you're gonna have to pay up piggies mm-hmm. okay but to get back on topic i wanted to briefly talk about the arcade because tekken uh was birthed in the arcade it was uh it was you know tekken was made by namco and there was namco was trying to compete with sega with virtual fighter and more than likely they were trying to compete with you know capcom with street fighter and uh, another realm uh midway with mortal Kombat. and fighting games have such a deep connection with the arcade it's like you'll you will always hear people have stories about how they pumped literally you know tens of dollars into the arcade machine so they could keep playing street fighter mortal Kombat, or tekken or marvel versus capcom or Mm. you know you you name it like fighting games have such a deep rich connection to the arcade i mean there's you know even today as they continue to like port old fighting games to new consoles so that people can play them like 
you know, as of recently, Capcom ported over a ton of their Darkstalker games, which were big hits, you know, medium hits in the arcade. You know, they've ported a bunch of their old Street Fighter games. You have, uh, you know, Sega's done a few times porting, like, the original Virtual Fighter 2 to consoles. Like, and there's always this sort of term of, like, arcade perfect experience. But I think even today, like, Tekken 7, for example, had a, has an arcade version over in Asia that is still played uh, pretty religiously, especially by South Koreans, because South Koreans, for whatever reason, latched onto Tekken, and it became their, like, second sport, apparently. But <laughs> the arcade is something that I think everyone in America holds near and dear, even... Even for someone like me who's 27, I think there's no way you couldn't have seen an arcade at any point, whether it be at the movie theater or you have like the sort of centralized gaming locations like Dave and Buster's or like Mm -hmm. sort of those other type of places or, you know, people I know, you know, Brian, you were telling me in text message about, you know, the pizza parlor arcade machines or just the straight up arcades, you know, arcades in malls or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's kind of the reason why I, other than obviously your history with Tekken, but I wanted to get your experience about what makes the arcade so special. Like even today, as people do barcades nowadays or movie mm-hmm. theaters still include a small little arcade section, like mm-hmm. what, why like what it what makes the arcade so special even today is the arcade market as it were back in the 90s is no longer as major and prevalent prevalent as it was um well i think i think the arcades are were and are so popular because i think it's just like this place where people who have some kind of genuine who share some kind of like genuine interest can all come together people of all walks of life can all come together into an arcade and share a genuine interest in gaming and enjoy the experience of playing and watching each other and competing against each other and cheering each other on and um yeah just coming together and experiencing something that we all kind of hold near and dear to our hearts and enjoying it together like i think it's a very i think it's still a really important thing and i wish they were more prevalent today than they were you know like a decade ago two decades ago mm-hmm. but there's something so special about watching two complete strangers competing against each other on like a tekken machine or a street fighter machine and like trying to best each other and oh I've I've got next or I'm gonna take on winner or you know that kind of thing like it's very cool that that was such a huge part of culture and like humanity like it was uh it was a really cool thing to see just like people from all walks of life come together and yeah share that experience I think that's a huge part of it yeah like when I think of the arcade I think of competition like Mm -hmm. pretty much any and all arcade machines you see to even today like at like your mo- at your movie theater it's always like a two player experience like whether yep. it be like you know a street fighter cabinet that has you know the buttons and the analog sticks next to each other or it be like 
a racing game where it's two giant like cockpits, you know, uh, uh, systems next to each other. You could race Mm -hmm. or, you know, in some cases, those racing cabinets, you could like race four to eight people at once. Like, yeah, arcades are such a it's like a, a congregation of people to compete, but it's like it's a unique social bonding experience that I think mm-hmm. it's sort of been lost in a sense because home consoles became so big in America. Like, you know, uh, people, be, you know, people started to think like, why would I drive 20 minutes to the arcade when I got that game at home on my home console? You know, right. there, there's people kind of just sort of drifted away. And obviously as malls became less prevalent, as they were back in the day, there was sort of this drifting away from the arcade to the point where, you know, for example, our, you know, Tekken, the last sort of major Tekken game in arcades in the West with a major presence with Tekken five. And that was like 2004 or five. Like it's, it's always, when I, I think about the arcades, it's always kind of like a melancholy feeling because you could have anybody anybody who was within like a few miles of the arcade and even if they just had five dollars worth of quarters they could mm-hmm. pop it in and have like an experience that was unlike anything because you have these cabinet machines that are just decorated with beautiful art all across mm-hmm. the sides or on the even on the control like surface like there is such like an intricate beauty to a, an arcade cabinet uh and people would just come there to have you know fun it's like taking like your console to your it's like taking your console to your friend's house it's Mm -hmm. kind of like that experience to me at least where it's it's like this sort of unique little square it's like a public square in a way is where anybody anybody who was anybody could show up to this one place and they could make a name for themselves like i i remember looking Oh yeah, I was and looking the whole at... the whole like leaderboard thing. I mean, oh, high yeah. scores. I mean, you could literally make make your name at that arcade, like, <laughs> and then everybody would try to beat your score. I mean, that's exactly right. Like, it is a total public square. It's just like a place where everybody can come together and share their you know their love and their experience with these games. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like like you mentioned, like just five five dollars. I mean, that's twenty chances to play a game. You know what I mean? Like you uh, have twenty chances to play Tekken or play you know whatever it is you have 20 lives in your in your pocket now yeah I mean it's it's like a unique thing where it's like you obviously like arcades back in the day where they were kind of designed to like get money out of you let's be real like Mm -hmm. they I think of Street Fighter 2 and I hear all the stories about how like you know the game and this is the thing these games were designed to like reap you know suck money out of your pockets like there's no there's no way around it like you know they would design they were designed to just like be money pits for kids and (laughs) mom can i have a dollar (laughs) yeah can i have another dollar so i can beat uh m bison again like in uh you have it's so it's like i you know obviously the arcade experience i think has drifted toward like online gaming like that sort of thing where like the lead the concept of leaderboards has transitioned just from a local scene to a global scene but you right. you see all these videos talking about the arcade 
like sort of in retrospect and you have like these legends who became synonymous with their area it's like you know Mm -hmm. you hear like oh jimmy he's like oh he was able to play street fighter for so long that the owners had to kick him out because he just couldn't lose he was that good (laughs) like they're they're, like the best the, the sort of iconic pro street fighter player named daigo uh he had like an 80 game win streak or something in one game to the point <laughs> where the the owners of the arcade said you you need to leave like you're not losing we need you to leave <laughs> like that's just insane like yeah i mean i i loved how like the concept of like you know the schoolyard social like pl- like uh place could like extend to a specific place where it, it it's like if I, I the way i like think about it nowadays it's like you think of like online games with like lobbies where people were talk to each other smack talk each other like right. the arcade is the origin point of all of this like you yeah. have all these kids or you know even teenagers would just make a name for themselves or uh i, I it's such a lost art form that like I know that it probably will never truly come back outside of maybe specific large cities. Like I know Los Angeles has still kind of a big, there's still like places dedicated to arcade or probably New York city has like a place or Chicago, maybe like you probably won't get the classic experience again, but like to know that it at least happened always makes me happy that like the arcade was a place for everyone. And the fact that the arcade not was was not just like sort of only in the mall or at a dedicated building it extended to like pizza places or mm-hmm. movie theaters like i love how everywhere and anywhere could be a fighting ground so to say uh you know like you know you could take the tekken battle to your pe- you know your dominoes or whatever like yeah like the the whole town you grew up in was like a way for you to assert dominance or something yeah exactly um yeah pizza parlors were huge like that was my first like introduction to like kind of like the arcade experience my local like round table chain my local um my other like local pizza parlor that i ended up as a teenager working out <laughs> for a short <laughs> period of time um yeah those were like the first places that i saw street fighter and i saw mortal Kombat, and i saw tekken and i saw like time crisis like the iconic sh- two-player shooting game and like mm-hmm. cruising usa and you know <laughs> hydro thunder the boat racing game like all oh, these yeah. crazy yeah that one was super fun um but yeah it was like always like um a staple part of you know going out to dinner with my family was like hey dinner's done now we're gonna go spend five dollars and play i'm gonna play tekken like for the rest of the night or going to the movie theaters with friends as i was starting to get older like hey let's get to the movie theater early so we can you know play deer hunter or (laughs) we can play (laughs) we can do some racing um in like the mario kart like arcade cabinet or those kind of things like it was always like um a destination like you had mentioned and it's just always just a way for 
you and your friends or you and like I had mentioned, like you and complete strangers to just kind of bond for a second over these games that we all loved and we all shared a love for. Like, it's just, it's just such a lost part of our culture now, which really sucks. Like, I feel like any, at least in my, in my area, any place that still has like an arcade, it's mainly just like the kid casino type thing mm-hmm. where it's like, you're playing like ski ball or you're playing the basketball game or you're playing yeah. any, you know, games, whack-a-mole just to win like tickets to turn in for prizes. I feel like the arcade, at least, like I said, like in like my area has kind of drifted away from like gaming cabinets to more of like the kitschy kitty casinos yeah. where you're playing for tickets. Yeah. Like a Dave and Buster's sort of thing. Exactly. Or- yeah. Like a Dave and Buster's or, there's a place there's a place that we went that me and my friends went to in high school um called John's Incredible Pizza. And yeah. it's just basically the same it's like a pizza buffet slash kitty casino arcade type thing. Yeah. And it's sad like because as I mentioned earlier, like the arcade, a lot of these nineties arcade games were like pushing new levels of technology even. Mm-hmm. Like Virtua Fighter would, uh, for example, birthed the 3D fighting genre with, granted, very, very, very basic 3D models, but the arcade allowed for 3D characters to be playable and not just sprites like a Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. It was the arcade was pushing the limits. You know, every time Sega put out a new like system architecture, they would show off a game to go along with it. Like, you know, virtual fighter became kind of like that sort of template they had like virtual fighter. One was a showcase of what 3d fighter virtual fighter two showed off in like all sorts of new technology that they could do in a short amount of time. Like our new arcade board lets us do this. Or I think of, street fighter three that introduced like hyper super detailed pixel art that was unlike anything was available especially even from capcom themselves like the way in which these characters move is so beautiful and lifelike Mm -hmm. you know the arcade was sort of like the area where you could see the top graphics on display and you couldn't you could get technically at home but you couldn't get the full true experience i mean hell for like street fighter 3 it took like a few years uh for even a remote arcade perfect quote arcade perfect experience could be played at home like these games were truly pushing new levels of graphical fidelity or tech you know techniques or whatever have you and it's sad to know that like the arcade really can't get that same experience. Whereas, you know, that has sort of drifted to the home experience and the arcade is really just not even a thought here, you know, yeah. in Japan and Korea, like the arcade is still going strong as, you know, cities are built in super dense populations where they can just walk to the arcade and still play it. For example, Tekken seven, has arcade machines still up and running you know in a classic way you know it it makes me it makes me think like man i want to go to japan again and play those arcade games and just like literally spend a whole day just losing money so that i can just (laughs) i can i can get that experience because i know i can't get it here but like 
uh, I think, you know, the, the closest thing I can think of, at least in, over here in the West, is like the Barcade, which I think I was, we were saying, I guess, in our quote break, even though it's <laughs> not really a break, but the Barcade is such like the Barcade concept, I think, is a positive overall because it brings the arcade still isn't dead, so to say. Like when I grew up in Cincinnati, in downtown, there was a, a barcade called 16 bit. And it had every single arcade. It had like the Terminator shooter game. It had yes. Marvel versus Capcom, Street Fighter 2, Mortal Kombat, uh, Times Time Crisis. Or time, I I get all Sega had so time many games. Yeah, had all these yeah. games called Time, and it just like blurs together, <laughs> especially after a bunch of vodka. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but like you know, this this place had like classic cabinets, gaming cabinets, not just like a claw game or a basketball game. Like it was, yeah. it was transferring that old experience to today. And I'm glad in in the concept of just like drinking with your buddies and like you know beating each other up at, with like uh, Cyclops and uh, Ryu versus you know Chun Li and. Uh, What's another man? Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like it, the the. I am glad that that exists even today, even though like barcades just kind of seem kind of weird. Like it, there's sort of like this. Like, would it be fair to say it's like a millennial thing? I don't know. Like, yeah, like I, I. The main thing about a barcade that I say is that it's a net positive. I'm glad they exist because it keeps arcades alive in the west with mm-hmm. when it's rare to see like dedicated buildings to arcades like here in north carolina where i live thankfully my game store that i buy all my games from they actually have an arcade space like they have a super nintendo arcade cabinet where it's it's got like a giant super nintendo controller yeah you could play like a few super nintendo games or it has like Mortal Kombat 3 or they have Marvel versus Capcom 2. They have like DDR, uh, Hydro Thunder. That's so sick. They have uh, NFL Blitz. Like our, our oh NFL, my God, yeah. NFL Blitz. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, and you, I'm glad that this, this still is still in it's kind of like a it's like the <laughs> our lovable Callie barking our lovable Callie in the background barking she, at the pool sweeper <laughs> yeah she's just saying i she's just saying you main uh ryu and the cat and the arcades i've i'd main saget or whatever <laughs> oh my god yeah that's so crazy like um i vividly remember the sega like the sega um cabinets at like my specific like pizza parlors it was like virtua fighter 2 um i remember vividly virtua tennis i was obsessed with that it Uh, was incredible yeah if i if i I might i want to give a shout out to scott beloved scott friend of the pod yes we love scott Uh, i i want i just want to say because he pointed me to virtua tennis Oh my think, God, Scott! Wait, the wait. man. <laughs> yeah, Virtual Tennis one because Virtua I have Tennis it, is sick. I have it on Dreamcast, and the Dreamcast is a great system because it's basically an arcade machine, but you can play at home. Yeah. Um, and that was like the main thing, like the the Sega arcade board at the time, which was called Naomi. 
is what the Dreamcast is based off of. And that's why oh, like that's you so could, cool. You could get arcade basically arcade perfect ports of like Soul Calibur at home or Virtua Tennis. Like that's hell, incredible. I didn't, I didn't know I, that. Yeah, I I just want to say like Scott, thank you for pointing me to Virtua Tennis because it is mm-hmm. a bomb ass game. I did not think oh. I would love a tennis game. Yeah, Virtua Tennis is incredible. It's so beautiful so well done and just like so addicting like yeah it's I'm, i was obsessed with virtua tennis like it's uh, if i will like sega has sega's dna scott, back scott, in the day scott, <laughs> yeah we we love scott thank you oh, scott no. <laughs> what's wrong came unplugged sorry uh, it's fine i think you'll I pick up saying- just fine Okay, good. <laughs> but yeah, no, thank you, Scott, for pointing me to Virtua Tennis. But mm. if I'm like Sega, I love like Sega's whole DNA back in the day was the arcade, like yeah. to the point where it actually kind of was the thing that got them in the end, where it's they didn't dedicate to like a home experience like Sony did or Nintendo or even Xbox later on, where they didn't like have an RPG game, like a game that you could spend hours upon hours in. But like Sega's whole DNA is like arcade games, and I love how their their consoles were all dedicated to like bringing arcade games to the home. Like I have um, I have a Japanese copy of Virtual Fighter Two for the Sega Saturn. That's like so, that was so cool to play. Like, let me see if I can get it. Uh, yeah, that is so sick. Uh, here it is. Yeah, here this is a Japanese Sega Saturn of Virtual Fighter Two. With God, that is beautiful. I know, right? And a glittering image. Yeah, and here's a thing for all the third place listeners. Uh, in Japan, the Sega Saturn came out in like traditional CD jewel cases, like the squares. And I and I love how in the top a corner it says compact disc, like. And I love the gold, the gold border on it, and just all the different characters are on the front. It's like the second world fighting tournament has begun with their polished skills and improved speed. The following ten fighters will compete in an effort to determine the new world's number one fighting champion. Yes. Uh, I just, it, it, I, I forever love the Sega arcade brand, and it, mm-hmm. it's so entrenched in their identity, and. I can only I can only imagine you know you had experience just like that presence of Sega at the arcade and it's like it's such a glittering image of a time gone by even like with Tekken we're talking later like Namco having like their own arcade presence uh, Capcom especially you know Capcom being kind of the king of arcade fighters it's it's such like a bygone era, so to say. And it, it does fill me with a little bit of melancholy to know that like this doesn't exist in the West, but it's like, at least these companies have never truly let go of their spirit from back then. Like Street Fighter, like, you know, cause they're making Street Fighter six, for example, or for a case of Bandai Namco, they're making Tekken eight. Like, yeah they will never truly lose that core identity themselves back in the day in the arcade. And I'm just like grateful that 
in in a way it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of like you know telling tales to your children it's like back in my day i pumped in <laughs> i get i spent all day trying to beat Hihachi in tekken one and i finally did it sort of thing mm-hmm. like there's there's like a it's like kind of myth building because these zoomers nowadays they don't know what they don't know what an arcade is they don't even know how to like operate an ipad without like being told how to use it or something <laughs> yeah like, i think just to go off of a little more of like the sega experience because i never had a sega home console so it was always really cool just to see the things that they were bringing to the arcades and i think you touched on it i think that's part of that was part of their downfall is that they were just so entrenched in their arcade presence that you know they just kind of fell off and lost the the home console battle so to speak with like yeah. nintendo and playstation one of the i just wanted to mention one of the other like iconic sega games that i used to play in arcades besides soul caliber which you have mentioned soul caliber is another huge favorite of mine because it's like similar to tekken in the fact that just like all of the characters and all of their designs are just incredibly intricate and beautiful Mm -hmm. and it was really cool because it was also like the first fighting game that i recall playing that introduced like weapons also along with like martial arts Mm -hmm. um so it was like also solo caliber and then (laughs) this is so like i feel like this might be really obscure but i like vividly remember playing a die hard die hard video game mm-hmm. in arcades that was sega based and it was 3d and it was so sick and you were just playing as john mcclain and you were going through the skyscraper like it was so cool <laughs> yeah like I, just the sort of things that you could do with an arcade like you know you could build specific controls just for that experience like obviously the you know the fighting game with the analog stick and the four to five buttons or whatever you had like light gun games galore like terminator mm. like uh shooting game or house of the dead or area Ty- 51 yeah area 51 <laughs> like there was so many unique experiences that they could kind of just do what they want so to say that you know they didn't have to sort of confine to a traditional game controller it was we designed the controllers for the experience and yeah. it's kind it's obviously like i don't have any sort of ill will to a home console like obviously a home console is great obviously and everything <laughs> but like but there is something lost when it's like this controller has to do every sort of genre known to man but an arcade cabinet right. is specifically designed for that thing it's yeah. like you get to experience a new way to interact with a game. And yeah, I, I know that it may, it's like a crapshoot to ever hope that like arcades ever come back because, you know, everyone just wants a PlayStation five or whatever, and just plays, <laughs> p- plays their call of duty or Fortnite, like whatever, you know, you do you, you know, you get their victory royales or whatever, like, <laughs> but I will always sort of treasure these sort of stories and experiences that the arcade brings. It's, it's a legend, so to say. Yeah. Some of like, seriously, some of like my like fondest memories are just like spending time 
you know, with the family during like a family dinner and then like going to play games afterward or mm-hmm. like being with my friends and going to ironically to a pizza like to a child themed pizza buffet place and playing video games with my friends in high school and going to the movies and playing arcade games before and after the movies with my friends like it's just like those feel you know those experiences are so treasured and so lost nowadays it's just like i really hope that somehow they can make a comeback i mean i don't see that i mean you touched on, you know, you touched on the barcade scene and that was kind of like a kind of like a ironic hipster. I mean, at least that's like who I feel who, you know, like attends and goes to those kind of places are kind of like the hipster, the the micro beer uh, the micro brew beer geek scene, like that kind of thing. Like, oh, we're gonna play video games, but we're also gonna do a flight of craft IPAs and yeah. <laughs> you know, fruit sour beers. But that's again, oh, that's like the main draw. But yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, some of honestly, some of my like most cherished and like ingrained memories are just like arcades and pizza parlors with my family. Like it's just, and it's a it's a really warm feeling. It's 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 a great memory to have. Totally. No, uh, and I, I think what other better way to segue from the arcade into our topic, which is mm. Tekken. Mm-hmm cut there all right this is so good this is yeah this is (laughs) so fun (laughs) yeah um if you need a bathroom break go right ahead uh but if you're willing to keep going so be it yeah i'm gonna take a quick break i'm gonna get another beer and i'll be right back all right i mean granted we'll (laughs) We'll still be like chatting, but this will be, I guess, cut. Suppose, I guess. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I'm editing this tonight, like after we finish. Oh God! <laughs> I'll, I'll, editing the editing this thing really doesn't take long. It's like adding the music, cutting yeah. like any dead space, and like just exporting. That's really it. Uh-huh. it yeah. It, at these episodes take like what thirty minutes to an hour to edit so it's like not even bad plus it gives cool. me it gives me an excuse to just listen to music that i want to put into these episodes and i have <laughs> this interlude coming up or i don't know if i'm including this or not but like the six minute interlude that is full of nine songs <laughs> i think you should <laughs> yeah no i mean we'll see we'll, we'll we'll see if this stays in i don't care i mean this is my show not yours listener you you yeah. endure me, yeah. <laughs> okay, but give me one second. I'll be right back. All right.
Alaska moment. Uh, okay. I said hi back, and it's is Alaska thunderfuck moment. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> God, I I have 
because of Zach's episode on Drag Race, like Drag Race has reinfected my brain. Oh lately. my God, Sam. Like <laughs> I have, I feel like I've watched nothing but Drag Race lately. Um, it's I so, downloaded, I got, I signed up for Paramount Plus. <laughs> strictly because I wanted to see the winter season, which was fucking phenomenal, to be honest with you. Like, it was amazing. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, like, I, I usually come around even to the newer seasons, like, where I have a period where I don't like it, but then I come back to it and I realize, like, oh, they have some, like, funny people on the show, like... <laughs> you never can avoid drag race like getting the most weird and just like crazy people in society like yeah but it's always it's fun just to have a season full of just like people who won even winners i don't particularly like like i could care less about evie oddly and her queerdo thing i like whatever like whatever floats your boat and gives you money girl like sort of thing yeah but, I don't know. I I I I kind of I kind of came around to Evie oddly just because she like yes, it's like overdone the queerdo thing, but it's also like I don't know, she just kind of has her own thing and I respect that for her, I guess. Like she's kind of like the only drag queen, especially in like the RuPaul world that does what she does. So like I kind of respect that. And she, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no doubt that she's talented too. Like, I mean, it's it's incredible, like the kind of looks that she can pull. But mm-hmm. I, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, I think it's just fun to see like the past of the best of the past of Drag Race, like Raja being brought back. Like, oh my god, that was that was literally Ra- seeing Raja and then hearing Jeff. about the jinx monsoon snatch game like those were the two reasons that those were the two reasons that i was like okay fuck it i'm gonna fucking get paramount (laughs) plus and i'm gonna watch this because raja raja's the one the one yeah raja's the one like i still think about her like money ball and i still think about um the indian dress yeah the indian dress and the one that where she looks like um uh, like a native african like just yeah phenomenal looks yeah that's just i mean and that was and that was like 12 years ago (laughs) yeah and to to quote gremlin on zach's episode raj is just cool like raj is so fucking cool so fucking cool yeah so like oh god yeah like, <laughs> sorry no 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 no, it's, no it's fine <laughs> no it's, no 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 it's fine we're we go wherever we want on the third place it's yes. it's my we're going show to fourth place and the fifth yeah. place and the sixth place <laughs> we go from first place to second base place to third place <laughs> What are we talking about? We're we talking about going to first base now? Or are we going so, to second I, base, Sam? I don't I don't know. Let's go to the third base, Sam. <laughs> That's the spin-off show. <laughs> where I have sex with all my guests. Oh my god. Yes, please. <laughs> but uh, oh going god. from going from sex with guests to <laughs> the top to topic of discussion, which is Tekken. Uh so Tekken is a much beloved and long running 
3D fighting game uh, series that has been running almost uh, for 30 years. Uh, in fact, we're recording this on September 22nd, mm-hmm. and Tekken just had its 28th anniversary in Japan in the arcades. Uh, the the first game in the series first released in the arcades on September 21st, 1994, uh, it eventually was ported to the PlayStation 1 uh, in America on November 8th, 1995. And it came out to the rest of the world in arcades in December 1994. But uh, I I kind of timed the, this episode recording up kind of beautifully because last week uh, Tekken 8 was revealed for the first time. So it's like... Ugh. God, like I sometimes synchronicities just work in truly beautiful ways. Um, it's impeccable. But the, uh, but the the point is, is that Tekken is a 3D fighting game. It was essentially birthed both as a way for Namco, which uh, who is the developer who are now known as Bandai Namco. But it was a way for them to test 3D models, uh, how to create 3D models for games. That was the original point and also as to be a competitor with sega's virtual fighter um when tekken was being developed it they actually worked one of the sort of higher-ups with namco at the time was working with the head designer of the playstation ken kudaragi uh to make tekken like a playstation game so the arcade system that the first Tekken game was made for uh, kind of resembled the PlayStation. So Tekken was a unique case where the arcade game matched the home game. It was a, that was kind of the draw of Tekken was that the difference between the two wasn't actually too different. So it's like, oh, hey, you go to the arcades. Well, now you have the arcade at home sort of experience. And since then, Tekken has become a long-running franchise. It is actually the Guinness Book world record holder for longest <laughs> continuous story in any game, let alone fighting game. Uh, and by continuous story, it it is the same story progressing. It has never done a prequel game. It hasn't done a reboot or anything. Tekken has progressively continued its story for 28 years at this point it holds the record for longest story in games it has seven main entries with two tag or two like uh spin-offs in the tag tournament series it's had movies it's had animes it's had its own like mobile renditions it's had like mm-hmm. compilations like you name it tekken has sort of spread across the media landscape so far and large and i wanted to do tekken is a sort of a uh series i dubbed in my head give fighting games a chance because (laughs) because this is a this is an admission a guilty admission of myself that fighting games have never clicked for me in the past i for whatever reason never was drawn to fighting games i don't know what it was but I could never get into a fighting game. But Tekken, as of this year, through your influence, Brian, (laughs) Tekken has become that fighting game series for me, and I have bought almost every game, main entry in the game series. I'm only missing the first Tekken and Tekken 5, uh, Mm -hmm. and then a bunch of these like Tekken Revolution or Tekken Hybrid, 
which aren't crucial. They're just kind of like re-releases of other games. But the point being is I have become so fully entrenched in the Tekken verse as it will because of you and how you, your stories with the Tekken series. Mm. Uh, so I guess to where to start us off on this Tekken retrospective is I want to hear your history with Tekken. Where does it start? Where does where where does the story begin, so to say? Yeah, um, Tekken begins for me in kind of like where we left off our conversation before we took break. Uh, Tekken begins for me in arcades. Um, for some reason, like as a as a kid, like I t- arcades have always been kind of synonymous with the fighting game genre in general i just recall always being drawn to the fighting game cabinets as a kid whether it be you know the street fighter cabinets or the you know the mortal Kombat cabinets or soul caliber or virtual fighter or the king of them all tekken um i just remember immediately being drawn to this game where there were fighting you know like um where there were martial arts being displayed and there were all these unique, different, cool characters to play as. And it was 3D and it was beautiful. And it took place in, you know, all these different, um, at least for Tekken, for me, for Tekken 2, the first arcade, the first version of Tekken that I played, Tekken 2, it took place in all of these really cool global locations all around the world because, you know, Tekken is like the king of iron, iron fist, fist tournament. tournament yeah the king of iron fisting tournament and <laughs> <laughs> which is just kind of like bringing all of the most prolific fighters and martial artists from around the world to you know this one giant tournament and yeah i just recall just being so drawn to the the look of the cabinet the look of the game on the big screen the everything like this the character design and it was just unlike that anything that i had ever seen and it played unlike anything else i had ever played before i think for for me i think that's what kind of solidified and cemented it as like the most important fighting game at least in my gaming history was just like the gaming experience of it was kind of i mean not it was kind of lifelike i guess you could say because uh-huh. the controls of it were so much different it was a bit slower than all your other fighting mm-hmm. games where you know street fighter is super arcade and everything is like turbo mode all the moves are so quick and everything is so fast and tekken it's a bit slowed more slowed down it's about the rhythm and the technique and the strategy mm-hmm. and i think just i really grasped that and kind of was drawn to that as a kid because it reminded me of kind of my own personal experience like I was from like an early age I think it was like five or six I was enrolled in martial arts like I have and then up until about like 15 or 16 years old I was um in kung fu and so I think like as a kid playing Tekken it kind of brought to life or like in a gaming experience kind of brought to life what I was being taught and trained and it kind of felt like real fighting as opposed to 
a street fighter experience where it's strictly just like an arcade fighting experience like Mm -hmm. i don't know if that makes sense but like just like the way that you control the characters and the unique dynamic controls of how you play tekken and the way that it's laid out you're controlling the person's individual limbs with each button and it so it just feels like it's more of a unique and real fighting experience as opposed to any of the other you know major fighting franchises out there yeah i mean that's the unique thing about tekken because it is a 3d game the control mm-hmm. scheme is different than let's obviously like a street fighter like street fighter is like you have your punch button your kick button and a lot of the moves are like stringing together different analog move you have know, like the quarter circle for example like you know doing yep. fireballs or shoryukens it's more kind of like technical where you have to remember specific like inputs or special attacks to do like the cool things. But in Tekken, at least for me as someone who's a newcomer to the series, it's like Mm -hmm. Tekken in a way is more technical because Tekken, for those who don't know, Tekken you use on like, let's say a PlayStation controller, um, the face buttons, the square circle triangle and uh cross or you know the x circle triangle square buttons all represent a different limb on the body so your square and your triangle button are your different your left or right arm and the x and the circle button are your left or right kicks and that's really the other than like you know the d-pad to move the character that those four buttons are the way you interact with the game and tekken has literally like I think by now today's like Tekken seven, it had like each character has 200 moves. And like, there's moves where you, if you're face, if you're behind the character, if you're behind your mm-hmm. enemy, or if you're jumping or, you know, for example, like Huarang, if he's on like in his flamingo stance or yes. he, you know, Huarang's in his flamingo stance, he has a whole bunch of new moves just for that stance or, yep. if, you know, just because Huarang's a, an interesting character because he's taekwondo and he can switch the way his body is facing the character and it changes his button inputs or new moves or he's unlocked or uh or like steve fox in tekken 4 where he's a boxer and he doesn't really have kicks he just has like swaying movements and you have the different types of pokes and jabs that he (laughs) has that are unique to him like each character has like a book's worth of moves that are so specific to a situation that even to me, I was like, this is way too hard for me to ever understand. But (laughs) Tekken has this like magic ability in its gameplay where even for someone like me, who's a newcomer, even a simple like one, two, one combo can do some damage or a, just a back or a like, a backwards kick can deal some pretty big damage mm-hmm. like even the little things like that feel impactful and the game is also kind of like it's at adverse to button mashing even though like you can button mash it feels mm-hmm. like the game doesn't want you to button mash it wants you to learn how to operate this avatar it's kind of like it's very unique it feels like you are controlling this you know this giant muscular man or gorgeous woman (laughs) it feels so unique where it's like you are controlling their body on screen Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't connect in like let's say 
Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, Darkstalkers, MVC, like it's wholly unique and its closest com- its closest uh com- contemporary is virtual fighter but even then tekken is different by having it be like limb based instead of like input based it's it's such a unique way to interact with a game and you know i there's so there's so many different like technical terms and you know the all the frame data like this move takes 10 frames to to execute and you know it it becomes punishable for the opponent like it's so technical but it's in a weird way it's like it allows for a newcomer to get in and get engrossed because i sit here today as playing so many of these tekken game you know these games and i'm i do feel like i'm progressing like i'm learning how to control these characters and i feel like i'm getting a better grasp of the systems or you know sidestepping or blocking or uh like wall splatting like oh yeah there's it's it's a really unique experience that you know like for example like i had a brief moment where i tried out street fighter 4 and i felt like i could never understand it because it's all like you got to do a half circle quarter circle you know down punch punch like kick or whatever like it's so technical but it's such a weird thing tekken is so is even more but it's not like you and i had a fun you know got to do a fun experience where we were playing online with tekken 6 and so fun yeah it's so fun and i felt like even though you were kicking my ass through (laughs) most of these matches like i still felt like it was like I felt smart doing it at the mm-hmm. same time. It's to say it's the thinking man's fighting game or something like that. It's not too it's not too far fetched to say. It's like you have like a buffet sized amount of mechanics, and it's mm-hmm. like about you experimenting, finding that character that jives with you the best, and learning their systems, learning what makes them great, what what's their weakness, and you know really delving into this universe and Tekken is such a wonderful little series to uh, get engrossed in because Mm -hmm. this game has one hell of a soap opera storyline. Oh my God. That is, it is so fun to experience. Like, man, it's the Mishima storyline is bonkers at sometimes, but is engrossing as hell. Mm-hmm. like it's yeah so Tekken is like you said like the quote-unquote like thinking man's game but like fighting game but like it's kind of you know it, all jokes aside like it's kind of true because it's like with like you had mentioned previously like the you know the backstep kicks or the you know sidestepping like it's like this immersive 3d world that then like sets you up to like sets you up and strategizes you so you can then punish your opponent so you you know you nail like a backstep kick and then you can you've created that space to where then you can create these different combos to then just punish your opponent like it's yeah. unlike it's like unlike anything else or like you can you know you can sidestep your opponent and then attack them from the side with a yeah. 
unique grab that's totally different from like a front facing grab and like totally punish them that way. Like it's just so there's so much strategy built into it, which makes it so um, much more technical. Like I understand what you're, what you mean when you say that street fighter is a technical like game because you have to understand the technique of inputs. Right. But this is more like a tech technique more like more along the lines of like a strategy game Uh even though even though as i've self-admitted to you many times i just kind of fucking go for it and just punish and i don't really have technique i just (laughs) do all of do all of my main characters inputs and try to kick my opponent's ass as quickly as possible (laughs) yeah it's it's such a cool like just speaking from tekken as a pure gameplay experience it's it's like kind of it's it's like giving you a buffet of options whether it be characters moves mechanics or whatever and it's kind of just like saying to you well it's time for you to learn and you're going to learn by getting your ass kicked and you're going to like pick up this information and tekken is so magical in the sense that Ever, for the most part, every character has their own unique way of inter- playing. Like, mm-hmm. Kazuya is, like, a pretty standard experience. Like, he's obviously the main character, especially, you know, obviously in Tekken 1, he is the main character. But, like, yep. you have fighters like King, who is bought, based off, like, Mexican wrestling and WWE. Mm-hmm. So all of his moves are grabs and throws and... Uh, all that or you have like you know like we mentioned Huarang who's based Mm -hmm. off Taekwondo or you have like Marduk in later games where his fighting styles I I forget the the precise name it's like Veratuda or something yeah but you know he's like an MMA fighter so to say or you have have people like Bruce who's like a Muay Thai fighter and you Mm -hmm. have people like Eddie and Christy who are Capoeira dancer fighters like it's all and that's the thing that's so cool about Tekken is that not only are the all these characters unique and beautifully created and um you know so like original but they also represent the global um martial arts mm-hmm. scene and that each character represents a different kind of martial art which is really cool and super dynamic and something that's never you know never really been represented in fighting games yeah like other fighting games like they kind of give service to like like street fighters the obvious sort of parallel like where they have characters from different countries and they kind of have like a like granted you could correct me on this but like they have like a visual similarity to the fighting area they're from but Mm -hmm. like they they don't they don't necessarily do it like the only one that I can think of that like really fits their sort of fighting style is Elena from Street Fighter Three, where she's a capoeira dancer fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like in Tekken with like Eddie and Christy, like because it's three D and you can move you you can move in in and out of these stages or moves mm-hmm. or moves that these characters do are like three D moves. So if they do like a sweeping kick that character gets launched like into the background and like it's it's so visceral and like these games like by the nature of 3d itself it's like these 
digital these levels these arenas that they're fighting in feel realer than like a street fighter level like there's a level of believability and there's there's games in the series like tekken 4 which is very realistic and it tones down on the sort of craziness that tekken kind of dives into many a times mm-hmm. where it's like these more realistic like what if tekken was real sort of thing where they're fighting in malls or they're fighting in parking garages or beaches <laughs> like it tekken has this magic ability of creating a realistic digital a realistic environment through the digital plane i guess if, if that makes sense it's mm-hmm. it's it's such a unique thing where you know fighting games have <laughs> fighting games to me as sort of an, a newbie so to say where it's kind of like the visuals are kind of just like enough they're like the icing on a cake where the mechanics are the depth but it's like Tekken you have the depth of the mechanics but even the environments and the characters add to that layer cake so to say and you know you could play Tekken not just to be a master of the mechanics or a pro player you can be playing to see these individual character stories progress through 30 years. I mean, if, if, you know, I'll transition obviously to the, the main story of these games is the Mishima saga. So to say Mm -hmm. there's, there is Kazuya, Haihachi, Jin, and uh, Tekken five, there's Jin Pachi, there's Lars, Mm -hmm. uh, Lei or Lee Chao Len, like, The, the Mishima story is a fascinating story that immediately grabbed my eyes because, you know, the, the common, I guess you could say, complaint that like most gamers have, and I, I view it as sort of the straight eye not seeing like what really is there, and that Tekken is <laughs> one of the grandest soap operas put into video games ever. It For me, it's honestly yeah. on the level of Metal Gear Solid or Kingdom Hearts. It's like these these men in this family who in many cases are not good people quote unquote like they are constantly fighting for power and there's so many there's curses there's devils there's illegitimate children there's <laughs> like power dynamics there's like drama conflama like Daddy it, issues. Dad, da, daddy <laughs> issues, like vague gay baiting, I, or not gay baiting, but like just gay allegories. It's like, mm-hmm. like, uh, fratricide, like, uh, <laughs> like the, the Tekken story, the Mishima story is so engrossing. And when I see mm-hmm. people saying, like, oh, these games are cheesy. I'm like, no, these games are just going all out. Like, obviously, yeah. there's there's cheesy moments. Like, don't get yeah. me wrong. Like, in Haihachi's ending in Tekken 5, Haihachi's ending involves him tying Kazuya, Jin, and his, and his dad, Jinpachi, to a rocket ship that launches him to, <laughs> into space so that he never has to deal with them ever again. Yeah. Like, there are cheesy I mean, mo- moments. Don't get me wrong. But, like... Yeah the main crux of the canon story of Tekken is so engrossing that like even to today, like we're Tekken eight, which is the new game being made. It's like, I want to see what happens with these men. Like what is going to happen? What, what is this 
this drama going to unfold into? Yeah, I mean, let's just start. I mean, from the very big, from the very beginning. I mean, it starts with a freaking bang. I mean, yeah, the whole story, the the whole beginning of Tekken is a a father who is like basically embarrassed by how weak his son is basically beats him up while he's still like a child he's five then, years like, old yeah he's a five-year-old boy who isn't strong enough to defeat his father oh, in, a, which, in martial arts which is funny because and- in tekken 7 you play that out like in the yeah. story mode of tekken 7 you play as five-year-old kazuya fighting his dad <laughs> and his and kaihachi is just like you're not strong enough and they just, yeah. and he throws him off a cliff yeah, the whole thing begins with a father throwing his son off a cliff because he's weak and not strong enough. And the whole like story of Tekken 1 is Kazuya's revenge over his father Heihachi because he survives the fall and becomes, you know, a prolific martial artist and wants nothing to do or wants nothing but revenge over his father. And so, I mean, it's like you said, I mean, it's an incredible soap opera full of high drama about like a power struggle between fathers, sons, grandfathers, and how their story basically affects the entire world. Like literally, literally the entire world. And that's why, you know, all these other characters come into the story is that they're, you know, their stories have been intertwined with the Mishima family. Yeah, the Zaibatsu. The Zaibatsu. Zaibatsu. (laughs) Like, like there's there's a lot of characters in these games who also have, like, a personal vendetta, whether it be Haihachi Mm. or Kazuya. Like, like I think of Michelle. Like, she wants revenge against Haihachi because Haihachi's men killed her mother. Like... Right. Or like uh, Jun Kazama, who's actually the wife of Kazuya, who birthed Jin. Like yep. she enters Tekken Two, the King of Iron Fist Tournament Two, because of Kazuya's sort of experiments on wildlife. Like mm-hmm. we were saying before the show starts, like in Tekken Two, there is a fighting kangaroo and dinosaur, like as playable characters, who are res- who are results of Kazuya, who. After Tekken 1, he defeats his father, who throws Kazuya throws Haihachi off of a cliff with that iconic CG smile that's like (laughs) burned into my brain at this point. It's so amazing because Tekken 1 has like really primitive CG that is quite honestly very bad, Mm -hmm. but I love it. It's so, it's like this approximation of what people should look like. Like, like I think of King's Mask in the first game, where it looks, doesn't look like a jaguar; it looks kind of like a like a bear or something. Like it's mm-hmm. so weird. But the point being is, like after the events of Tekken One, Kazuya takes over the Zaibatsu, yep. and he, as the ringleader of the Zaibatsu, begins testing on animals to create a animal fighting like soldier, mm-hmm. and and June Kazama enters the tournament to get like stop this from happening so 
if like if Kazia didn't test on animals and creates Roger and Alex, the fighting kangaroo and dinosaur, respectively, then <laughs> then his son Jin would not be born. Like, right? I, I love this sort of just intertangling and twining of just like these characters coming in. You know, like, uh, like I think you know, in, in like in Tekken Seven, they introduce Haihachi's wife and. There's the ever-present devil gene that is in yep. in Kazuya and Jin, uh, who yep. is Kazuya's son, like, and how like it, you know, Kazumi, who is like, this is gonna get so confusing at some point. I love like, it. It's so good. Know, Keep going. Like, like <laughs> Kazumi. If you don't know now, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Kazumi, whose family is like cursed with a devil gene. She marries into Hihachi to kill him, preventing the world like going into turmoil because she has like a vision. And so it's like they marry, they have Kazuya, and like, uh, like she tries to kill him. You know, she reveals she's like part devil, and like it then it reveals that actually Hihachi didn't kill throw Kazuya off the cliff because he was sweet. No, Kazuya or Hihachi throws Kazuya off the cliff because he wants to see if Kazuya has the devil gene. And then there's this whole like like thing where Kazuya just wants absolute revenge on Haihachi and he will do everything and anything to get back at him, such as taking over G Corporation, yep. an equally large and paramilitary corp that like you like know, the, the rival, the rival corporation to like the Mishima Zaibatsu, basically. Yeah, literally, yep. and and like you know, Kazuya like control his devil side, and you yep. know, uh, then Jin being Jin, Jin is kind of, I guess you could say he's the kind of the he if of of all the Mishimas, other than June, like June, I guess, like mm -hmm. Jin is like the closest to a good guy, I guess you could say, even yeah. though like. Jin takes over the Zaibatsu in Tekken Six, mm -hmm. but he he starts World War Three, yep, to bring about a ancient being, Azazel, this monster yep. that is like destined to kill humanity because of humanity's overwhelming despair brings it out or whatever. Yeah, like, based on like based on like Egyptian lore, and he's like surrounded by like um like scarab beetles and like the beetles are part of like azazel's like attacks and all this stuff oh. so yeah very ancient like ancient mythological um stories also coming to play in this power struggle world war paramilitary thing that's all happening all at the same time <laughs> yeah and and tekken and tekken's also done it like multiple times like tekken oh. 3 has ogre who is the yep. god of fighting which yep. who absorbs the powers of all the fighters that he defeats yeah and he kills king one my beloved like i know and, and he also kills <laughs> he kills june i think too yeah he kills june yeah, he like yeah but and he puts Huarang's master in Baek. Is that how you say Baek? Baek. I see. Yeah, Baek. Baek. Yeah. I, yeah he puts. <laughs> yeah, he puts Huarang's master into a coma that he doesn't wake up till Tekken Five. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like the the whole Grand Mishima story, like, is so extreme in the sense of it will go wherever it wants, such as Jin starting World War Three or. 
Hihachi and Kazuya being in a sort of struggle between two corporations that are in this war mm-hmm. and you know it climaxes in Tekken 7 where the two finally have their final fight uh, where uh, Kazuya finally presumably I have no idea Tekken can always bring back people from the dead apparently yeah we uh, don't know yet <laughs> but like Kazuya finally kills Hihachi in a volcano mind you it is incredible yes. this and this is a thing that i love that tekken does in that final fight and this is something that uh metal gear does where it 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 shows scenes from older games mm-hmm. in the midst of this fight and it treats those older games and their older cgi graphics they even they even include like tekken one two and three in this and it's like i love bringing the whole series with to Tekken 7 for this final climactic fight in the volcano. Yep. And you know, this the Mishima story still is going, even with Tekken 8, as Hihachi is finally gone from the mm-hmm. picture, where it's now finally Kazuya versus Jin, and Jin has finally seemingly broken the chains of his devil gene and now can control it. And exactly like you know, Tekken 7, he's now the only one who can stop Kazuya. And, you know, it's finally like we're going to get that Kazuya versus Jin maybe final fight. I don't know what they're going to do. Like it, from that Tekken 8 trailer, it's like the world oh. is in complete ruin where there's like tornadoes yep. in the sea and a submarine ship is like on fire. <laughs> like, it, it, like, if there's anything that Tekken just so nails perfectly is these emotional and... Uh, like extremes like the it, mm-hmm. like it will go where it needs to go for whatever it wants to do you know it will have like there's they introduce like jinpachi and he has his own sort of tragic story where haihachi locked him under the basement of the head like home of the the mishimas and like puts a giant makes jinpachi hold this like giant stone block until he basically dies of you know uh exhaustion but right, like, and that's his own and that's his own father like that's yeah. insane like and it's and, and it's because go. like oh I'm, i was just gonna say and it's just like jimpache was always like always preached about like you know power and like strength but he never he was like a a non-aggressor right he didn't want to initiate the aggression and he never wanted to initiate the violence but he understood that if uh, if need be, violence is always an option, and that's why we train to become the most prolific fighters, the most you know the strongest martial artists in the world, so we can defend ourselves, not so we can aggress on you know aggress or be aggressive to the world, which is why Jim Pache was so. Um, He's very tragic, like yeah, so tragic and so disappointed in what Heihachi Heihachi's like eventual exactly like exactly like what his eventual motives motivation was, and that was to you know take over the world. That was never like what the Mishima family was about up until you know up until the Tekken game series, right? Mm -hmm. Like I see so many complaints online, like like in Tekken 7 they kind of like quote 
uh what's the what's the term when they like rewrite something later on uh like retconning yeah, ret yeah retconning they, something they kind of they kind of retcon Hihachi as his ultimate goal is he wants to kill the devils in his like <laughs> bloodline but no. like I don't I don't particularly care about that because it's like no. it adds another layer to this story like you know the the Mishima saga is so entrenched in the world of Tekken that like mm -hmm. it's all encompassing and it like you know we were saying about Jinpachi it's like even Jinpachi's story uh uh connects to uh one of the other characters Wang Jinrei Wang. who is yeah Wang. who who is you know the dear friend of Jinpachi and their story mm -hmm. is connected in 5 and yeah, like Kazuya's specific ending in 5 where he like reminisces on like the good times with his grandfather like you know Jim Hachi thinks that like Kazuya will give him like a a tearful send-off but no Kazuya is a selfish motherfucker who yeah. just wants all encompassing power like even the non-canon canon endings of the series with the Mishimas is a treat to experience it's I I marvel at the the Bankai, not Bankai, Bandai Namco oh. team for continuing to make a overarching storyline that continues to bring twists, continues to bring turns, and they even extend this to other characters in the roster where mm -hmm. characters disappear after Tekken 2 and oh, they're Brack, like uh, Bruce and Bayek, uh, or you know they they come back in later games and there's even drama with them like bake dying at tekken 6 and warang doesn't have his master anymore yep. like heartbreaking yeah it's like people i i never can understand the critique of tekken story being cheesy overall or you know, like silly it's like you experience all these levels of the story in a very like it's like heightened it's a heightened experience that only a fighting i feel like only a, a, a fighting game could deliver because you know these these men could just like shoot each other and that's it but no they will fight to the right. death with their yep. fists and their and their feet like mm -hmm. there there's a sort of the way the like i think of like the mishima story is kind of like a greek tragedy in a way it's like this family that is cursed with frat you know killing fathers cursed with devil like the devil blood inside them or you know like stuff like that it's a beautiful thing to see and i applaud bandai namco for continuing to push the series farther and farther even even if they don't nail like the other characters per se like they continue to make you want to play their arcade modes and see what happens oh 100% and like I can at least commend Bandai Namco for sticking with like their core set of characters and like continuing their stories and like how, you know, how the, the power struggle between, you know, the, the, the patriarch and the sons and grandsons of the Mishima family, like how their story has affected everybody else. Like, I think that's something that they've done really well throughout the entire series, at least with their core characters, whether it be like 
Nina Williams and like her ending up like as starting out as like some assassin who is like sent to like kill Heihachi Mishima ends up working for the Zaibatsu under Jin Kazuma and like all these different things like Huarang beginning as like Jin's like street fighting rival <laughs> um, and kind of like chasing the high of that first fight because they fought to a draw yeah and like never really being able to find a fight or an opponent like that and he's like continually trying to find that fight throughout the rest of the games like i think like with their staple core characters they've done a really good job of trying to like continue those stories Mm -hmm. and i think i also think they've done a really good job of like integrating new characters and you know yeah, like Lars. As, right, like Lars, who ends up being <laughs> an illegitimate son of Heihachi, who... A, a Swedish, a half-Swedish, half-Japanese guy who only speaks Japanese, Yeah, who gets entwined in the sort of drama because Heihachi wanted to see if, like, he, he didn't have the devil gene, and so he has, like, sex with women across the world to see mm-hmm. if, like... To make it, sure it, he's the one. Yeah, yeah like it's, um, it, I, I, I just love where this series can go with itself, and it intertwines the roster at large. Maybe not all of the roster, but at least a good chunk of it. You have like Nina Williams like getting involved in it, or like Ling Xiaoyu being like Jin's like school uh, friend, yep. or even or even fucking Kuma being yeah. like Haihachi's like pet that he like trained martial arts with like yeah to become like a yeah to become like his like number one security yeah yeah it's it's so it, it is such large scale storytelling mm-hmm. that like I, it's like you know i it's like you know watching knots landing because i kind of started watching knots <laughs> yes. landing like <laughs> i like you know it's like this large roster of characters that gets reintroduced oh they have connections with each other like this is the secret uh between these two like i i commend this story that wherever the fuck it goes especially with tekken 8 on the horizon who knows when you know in the next year or two where this story could go like it's it one I it reminds me of um another friend of the pod who I adore Yerk P. Yes, um, Yerk. Um, I believe he made a tweet a while ago that I saw, and I because you know he is a Tekken fan as well. I remember he made a tweet saying like how Tekken translates this unique experience of like when you're playing a fighting game and you're facing off another character it's like you craft the story in your head of like what is the sort of ongoing fight between these two and Tekken kind of rolls with it too it kind of like embellishes and expands upon almost your original idea of that that one-on-one fight in you know in uh the sort of forgotten temple or the mystic forest or a a rundown city like Tekken has this ability to sort of like take that imaginary one-on-one story that you are crafting in your head and really run with it. And as a, as a newcomer to the series, 
I I really can't just say like how much this story this grand story just is such a an amazing thing to behold yeah and to like kind of hear you say that you think the Tekken story is um as intense and so like large and grandiose as like the story of like metal gear is just like so gratifying you know gratifying to me as such a huge fan of the tekken series and someone who's so like interested in like following the story like it's because you know metal gear is like i'm not you know really well versed in it but i understand that it's like this huge 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 game with like where like the plot is basically the most important part of like what's going on so like to hear you compare the two like is i mean that's all the validation i need to say that tekken is one of the greatest games of all time (laughs) yeah and i i really do think that like i mean granted like every game in the series has its fans and its haters but like i don't think that tekken has endured nearly 30 years of games without reason like it's you know obviously like a fighting game's core draw is the mechanics of the fight like obviously you know a fighting game can't rest on like its story alone but it's like Tekken you know if we were like look at Street Fighter like its story is very basic like yeah I mean like the like the story of Street Fighter is basically like good guys versus street fighter 2 basically yeah and and they've never truly like street fighter has constantly tried they they like with street fighter 3 was a clear sequel to the story of 2 but then street fighter 4 they go back in time to like (laughs) after 2 like and then even street fighter 5 uh they go back to at like i think the chronological order is like two like one two four five three like Mm -hmm. it's like street fighter is a very clear-cut good versus evil story like there's no sort of drama to it like tekken's one of the is a franchise where it's like the main characters are not necessarily like they're not ryu versus akuma even even though akuma even though akuma is a character in street fighter or in tekken 7 but like damn right he is yeah like (laughs) but like you use like if you boot Tekken one up and Kazuya is the main character, you think like, oh, Kazuya is trying to get revenge on a bad guy. But then Tekken two, Te- Kazuya is the bad guy, and now his mm-hmm. dad, who we thought was the evil person, now he's the sort of character, the main, the main focus of the of the game. Like, right. I I love that Tekken kind of just it, it delves into just these wonderfully created characters, and you get to see the progression of their story and you know we'll get to it when we talk specifically about Tekken 3 but like they you know they were willing to do a time skip to introduce a new member of the family with Jin and then you have like uh in Tekken 5 Asuka uh, Kazuma Mm -hmm. like like and then Lars Alexanderson and like they're willing to keep adding on to this grand story and yeah it's just so fucking cool like uh but i think (laughs) i don't know about you 
but I think it's time to play our fun <laughs> little game that I uh so last week while we were thinking talking about today's episode uh with Brian, I suggested we do a fun little top <laughs> five uh as I originally named it because I was drunk off my ass, but <clears throat> I called it top five woods and top five bang or babes. Uh, <laughs> so I, so we are going to go through our top five uh, guys and our top, top five girl characters in the series. And because let's be honest, because let's be honest, the core when it, you know, the core of Tekken is just sexuality and, appealing to our most primal urges and senses and and what better way and and what and what better way than have two faggots uh uh give us give you the real tea on the matter the real tea on who Uh, is the hottest men in the game and who are the hottest women in the game (laughs) exactly so let us begin we are going to stop we're going to start with the bros uh so brian who is your number five bro of the tekken series i think my number five hottest man in the game is paul phoenix uh paul's Uh, my paul's my number four yeah (laughs) we talked before the episode and we basically said that our lists are going to be very similar (laughs) yeah probably uh yeah but paul is paul is a not only is he incredibly hot like Mm -hmm. let's you know, Paul, Paul, I will say, I don't know how about you feel in the later games, but Paul, they kind of treat Paul as like a mongoloid by like, <laughs> new, but, but like Paul starts off as like a really great rival character to Kazuya. Mm-hmm. Like the two of them uh, went to a draw before the events of Tekken 1. Like they had a mm-hmm. fight, very like Huarang and Jin did. And even uh, Tet technically paul was the winner of the king of iron fist three yeah uh, exactly he, he actually defeated ogre which was you know paul's kind of like in the early games he's kind of like the underdog he's the all-american guy with the hair that goes to the sky like yep. puts guile to shame exactly i was gonna say it's very guile but even like even taller <laughs> like but like paul is your all-american roughneck and I think the advent of higher visuals and high fidelity have made him so beautiful, especially because oh. Tekken 3 has a time skip of 18 years. So in the first two games, he's like in his 20s. Yeah. But in the current sort of lineage of games, he's in his late 40s. Yeah. And and he has never looked any better in my no, opinion. He is giving me biker dad. Like he is so hot. <laughs> I, I, and I love his Tekken seven iteration where he's like in an all Tom of Finland like leather outfit yep. with like American yep. flag lapels <laughs> all over it. The one the one where I shopped my Ron Paul face onto <laughs> Ron Paul Phoenix. Yep. Like as I as I always say, uh because in the Tekken one, the announcer voice is kind of muffled, so I always think of Paul Phoenix as Paul Penis. <laughs> like, he, I want to see his Paul Penis. <laughs> like Paul, I love looking at like Paul's like like because every character in the series has like likes and dislikes. Mm-hmm. Like Paul's likes are pizza, the smell of gasoline, and money, and pro- <laughs> and proving that he is the best in the universe. And he dislikes freeways in Japan 
traffic jams because he was caught in one during the King of Iron Fist 2. He also, he hates uh, when people calling him dumb. <laughs> like he's a himbo god yeah, damn it <laughs> he's he's a himbo and and while I, I on one hand i'm just like paul has such a history of being like a great fighter and mm-hmm. like in tekken 5 they like his story is he wants to be the greatest fighter in the universe so he literally at the end wants to fight an alien invasion <laughs> like it's they do treat him very mongoloid like to the point where it's just like okay they view him as a joke character now partially because i think they didn't know what to do with him yeah like but he is incredibly beautiful incredibly hot and incredibly charming and i can't deny his appeal through the series yeah and he and he's one of the like mainstays of the series he has not missed a game yeah he's been it since game one like you can't have a tekken without paul phoenix I agree. So, so my number five was Miguel Miguel yes. Cabe, Miguel Caballero Rojo, who was introduced oh. in Tech Tekken Six. He is the a Span- drunk, sexy Spaniard uh, <laughs> with who is showing off his chest hair like a fucking like it is it is offensive how much it, how unbuttoned that motherfucker's shirt is in the games like he his story is actually legitimately tragic like extremely tragic in tekken 6 in the midst of the war his sister gets murdered in the midst of uh the zaibatsu versus g corporation fight uh so his main goal is to kill jin because jin was Mm -hmm. in charge of the zaibatsu in tekken 6 uh i just love miguel because he is a hot as fuck spaniard with chest hair be popping and honestly when fighting like playing as him like he definitely has a swagger to him like totally he like sways and moves and he just kind of has this like nonchalant like really cool style to him like he he has a like his he is a as stated before he is like a bloodthirsty reckless fighter Mm -hmm. who he's he's depicted as like being undisciplined in fighting Yeah, because but... he's because he's uh one of the only like he's like one of the only characters in the game who actually is not like a trained fighter like he's not he's just like a brawler a street fighter he just fights yeah he fights merely just to get revenge for his dead sister yep. and i his story is always kind of fun merely because like in his family who was a conservative family he's like viewed as the black sheep and kicked out mm-hmm. and i love how his character design kind of reflects that he's very he's very into himself he thinks he's hot but mm-hmm. like at the same time he's like just a absolute mess you yeah. know just because he can't deal with the fact that his sister who was the only one in his family that really understood him is gone and yeah. Uh, I'm curious, was Miguel on your list at all? Yeah, Mag- Miguel was actually my number four. <laughs> okay, well, so that actually, you know, that works out for both of us. So we can skip our number four because our number fours are number fours and fives are ba- are switched. Um, oh, that's amazing. So <laughs> our your prophecy was so far true. So who is your number three? Uh, my number three on the list is the absolute beefcake 
Craig Marduk. <laughs> Marduk's my number two. <laughs> yes, I fucking knew it. Yeah, he's like King's rival in the beginning but then ends up being like super good friends with king two and yeah, they end it's... up being like the dynamic duo together like dominating the wrestling scene together and yeah craig is just fucking hot yeah he, <laughs> he, so craig marduk was introduced in tekken 4 and yep he's a very he's a professional veratuda fight valley tudo fighter okay that it's valley tudo Mm-hmm. Um, but he was expelled from the professional scene for being linked to a scandal and bitter by it he his wrath consumes him and he starts a brawl at a bar and kills his opponent who happens to be armor king mm-hmm. who is the who is the mentor and master of king two mm-hmm. and uh I, the 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 intertwining story of Marduk and King Two is, I love it. Like even though in like later games again, like Marduk is is also guilty of being the retarded mongoloid in later games. <laughs> like where in Tekken Four, he's definitely portrayed as more, maybe I'll say lightly nuanced, where he's not exactly like viewed as a like like a caveman uh who just wants to fight because fighting good mm-hmm. like he <laughs> he has a little bit of like he wants to be the best in the professional scene and he will assert his dominance on everybody yeah. uh but assert your dominance on me daddy it, exactly <laughs> and marduk is uh portrayed uh in, okay, in Tekken 4, he has the weird sort of costume where he's like, he has like his hair grown out and like he's kind of viewed almost like a mob boss in a way. Mm-hmm. But like his stand, his iconic outfit is like that uh, MMA like boxer short thing and yep. he's just bare chested. So, okay, I'm already weak in the knees from that. Same. Uh, and <laughs> have, you, have you seen his Tekken 7 design? Uh, uh, I don't think I've seen a second seven design. So where they give him a beard and like a Oof. hoodie and a hoodie, I'm just like, okay, okay, um, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so it's just like, okay, I can't deny mongoloid man with rage out the wazoo. I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I guess you can beat me up, Marduk. <laughs> and there's a, there, there's a great cutscene in Tekken Five where like he faces Anna. And like he defeats her, and he, he's like, "I'll get what I want," and he just carries Anna off. And I'm just like, "God, I wish that were me." Carries away, <laughs> yeah, same. Like, like he, God damn, please. Like God, I wish that were me, sort of thing. <laughs> okay, my number three is Jin. Ooh, okay. Is Jin on your Hell list? Yeah, spill the tea. Jin is not on my list. Okay, so Jin is the son Ooh. of Ka- Kazuma in June, and he is he is one little emo boy. Yes, he is. Um, so he's introduced in Tekken three. He's kind of viewed as the main character, and uh, he gets into the scrap of it all because his mom gets killed by ogre, and before she dies, she said, "You got to go to your grandfather, Haihachi." Uh, uh, in case something happens because she can sense ogre's power or whatever mm-hmm. and i i think of all the mishimas Jin is the most fascinating because he 
he is an emotional little boy now ain't he um <laughs> yes he is uh he very much is gay coded in my eyes uh He's an emo teenager who uh, hates his dad, loves his mom. He's a mommy's boy. And he, <laughs> and he has a he has a side about him that he just hides from the world. And it's like, even in, as we are talking about Tekken 8, he finally embraces his other side. I'm like, hmm, what does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> what exactly. Is, what is what is his relation with Huarang really about? Yes, we all know what it's really about. <laughs> but I, I, I love June or Jin stands out to me. I love that he has like he has that one tribal tattoo on his on his shoulder, which is like the devil mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like there is like he there's no denying an emo boy, like an emo teenager Ugh. who who just wants to punch uh his feelings away. Like Yes. I I will say is is Jin an honorable mention? Jin's of course an honorable mention. Yeah. Uh but yeah, that, there is no denying like Jin uh it's fascinating how Jin gets embroiled in sort of the grand story of the Mishima's like he gets He's to a take... huge part of it. Like yeah. he's so important to the story and it's yeah, keep going. Yeah. Like I love I know a lot of people were not fans of of him being like a basically a fuck a warlord in six, but in a way, it's like I'm justifying like uh I f- like justifying like a man's actions. Like I don't care, he's still gorgeous. Like yeah, no, it like, it just like, fits. It fits with like who he is and like his entire like overarching story. Like for him to finally become uh his father so to speak is just like so poetically beautiful like it's just like incredible yeah and even i will say like even his turn to being a a warlord as the leader of zaibatsu like even it makes Mm. sense it makes sense within him because he's arguably the one character maybe outside of jimpachi in june obviously who has like a good to like a, a side of good to him like even totally. like he's kind of like the ends justify the means kind of guy like i have to defeat my grandfather and my father and if this is the way i have to do it so be it sort of thing yeah and i'm glad that he is now going to be a, a major focus of eight even like because he wasn't really a factor in seven so i'm glad to see he's going to be a major player in eight and uh well i love that boy and he is my number three so do i i love him too he's definitely he definitely deserves to be like mentioned and i'm glad he's on your list because it was really hard to keep him off of mine like (laughs) like he's yeah he's everything like he's like the you know the 16 17 year old frying who's like <laughs> feeling, fe- feeling his feeling his angst and like emotions and like having this deep connection with his mom and not and you know personally i mean he the character himself didn't know his dad at the time but having like a you know an estranged relationship with your father at that time in your life like he's he's very relatable and as he grows and gains power and like understands his devil ability like he's just so um he's beautiful he's 
he is he's absolutely fucking gorgeous <laughs> he is the per- he is the perfect like japanese anime character with his oh. with the with the mishima trait of pointy hair intact yes, that goddamn pointy hair <laughs> so my number two is marduk's so we already talked about marduk so who's your yeah. number two wait we skipped three no jen was my three and your what was oh, your my what three was, my three is uh, Brian Fury. Oh, yeah. No, okay. That makes sense. The, the fucking... Psychopath. Psychopath. The fucking psycho otter with the crazy laugh who is just like... Hellbent. Insane and hellbent on just like violence. <laughs> <laughs> and is this is this at all connected to the fact that he is named after you? Well, I mean, that that helps. I've never, I've never been with somebody with my first name, but... <laughs> I would like to start. <laughs> you're, you're you're just you're just like he has the right way to spell Brian. Uh, he's mine. Yes, he's so mine. Like but, his uh, crazy psycho, like anarchist, like skull mask, and like his open open like army jacket, and like being like you know kicked out of the military because or not not really kicked out of the military, but kind of like excommunicated and sent off to Hong Kong to be part of like that military force he's just so hot <laughs> yeah there's no denying I, the psycho like the psycho allure of characters mm. and they you know brian is like in search of being like an eternal living cyborg man yep and i love how he's so hellbent on just fighting there's like so many times in like the wind in the wind uh screen when when you went around or a, a match he's just violent he's just punching the person while they're down like oh yeah he's he's just literally he's been morphed and molded into being a literal fighting machine so much so that like yep. in tekken 5 his ending is a is a like an homage to predator mm-hmm. like and I love his sort of rival, even though some people don't like his rivalry with Yoshimitsu. I kind of oh, like. Oh, it's amazing! I kind of I love that sort of dynamic with the space ninja, yep. <laughs> like the space ninja trying to like stop the person he tried to help one time. And yeah, li- listen, I'm a sucker for shirtless men and <laughs> the 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 army vest combo, and he's oh. like the white hair and the mm-hmm. the evil laugh that he just. Always, is, that, that, that's literally what it sounds like. It's, I know that's like the only thing he talks in. Seemingly, it's yeah. just a laugh. It's that's all he needs to say. He's all he needs to say, and I'm his. <laughs> uh, so uh, we already said my number two, which is Marvel. I love so, that. Real quick, sorry. I love that his his like his likes are haircuts, solitude, and war and chaos. <laughs> like. <laughs> I love cutting my hair. I love being by myself, and I love sewing chaos. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's just like me. <laughs> he's named after me, and he's just like me. <laughs> and is he like a? Do you play him at all? I know Huarang is your go-to main, but yeah, I remember when you were ta- we were talking about Tekken at the beginning of the earlier the year. Like you told me about like some of Brian's moves, so I wasn't sure if like. Brian yeah, Fury, like Brian Fury was a main, so to say, of yours. He's not a he's not a main. He's definitely like a pocket player that I have for sure. Like I'm not great with him, but like you mentioned, like he kind of is just like 
been morphed into this like cyborg fighter and that's kind of what his moves represent he has very kind of like robotic punch and kick combos that are just yeah. like kind of like whoa like that, like that, his namesake like a fury of punches and kicks that he I, can unleash on his opponents i just think of like the elbow moves he has or that sweeping kick like he's just a violent dude mm-hmm. and, and he get and he gets off on it he laughs at it he loves it <laughs> yeah he likes being a psycho bitch <laughs> so <laughs> We list. We mentioned my number two, or we already said my number two, which is Marduk. So, who's your number yep. two? My number two is the one and only King, of course. Oh wow! <laughs> I guess we can talk about my number one then, which is let's King. Let's talk about it. You're number let's one, talk- my number two. Let's talk about him. Let's let's talk about beloved King in both the his arc- <laughs> sexy, beautiful, sculpted king (laughs) Uh, so king is another one of those he is in every game uh he's a tekken mainstay from the first game and he's gorgeous shirtless man who wrestles and all of his moves are grabs and throws i'm just like oh what if you did that to me though (laughs) just can pin me down please (laughs) break my back please (laughs) like all of his moves are like breaking like elbows and like Mm -hmm. it kings i and it's funny too because like in games with like characters i normally don't play that character and this is something like fighting games are unique where it's like people pick a character because they're visually appealing or Mm -hmm. they like their mechanics and I picked King because I said he's hot. And I was like, oh, well, I'm gonna okay. learn I'm gonna learn how to play a grappler, which is like not my forte. I would play like a fast speedy character like Law or something. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I said, you know what, King speaks to me in my soul. And King's story is wonderfully it's beautiful. Dramatic. Wonderful. He's arguably the most pure hearted character in the entire series like so true i i so when we talk about king we mean two different people so in tekken one and two it's king one who is a he he's a priest who runs a church full of orphans and he's running out of money so he enters the tournament to get money to keep his church afloat and so that's like the main gist and like in Tekken 2 he becomes an alcoholic but he re-enters to do re so to provide for his his church but in mm. Tekken th- before Tekken 3 ogre kills king 1 which is shocking like that was so uh, a new king steps into the ring king 2 who was an orphan of of the original king mm-hmm. and armor king trains this kid to become the new king king 2 and King Two very much follows in the same footsteps. He wants to take care of the orphanage, and like in Tekken Four, he gives if he wins, like he gives all of his money to the children around the world so that they mm-hmm. aren't impoverished. It's like heart of gold, motherfucker. I love you so much. Like, he loves the kids. Yeah, he loves our sweet kids. He's the he's the. <laughs> He's a he's a good-hearted Catholic, the one Catholic with no no ill wills or intentions ever in this world. <laughs> and King's story gets intertwined and interwoven with Marduk, 
because Marduk kills his mentor, but uh, Marduk realizes that King is the real deal and the better fighter. So they become tag partners in the wrestling ring, and it's great. And then suddenly uh, Armor King 2 arises out of the blue, and who is the brother of Armor King 1. And he wants revenge on Marduk because Marduk kills his brother. And it leads into like Tekken 7 where the two of those have a fight and they're seriously injured. So King 2 enters the tournament to pay for their hospital bills. (laughs) It's King is legitimately probably the most good character in the entire universe of Tekken. His moveset is uh, makes me feel things. Uh, (laughs) He is in the most provocative outfit probably the entire cast where Ugh. he's in like like legging like wrestling pants and mm-hmm. he's wearing wrestling elbow guards and oh. he's a like king two by the way is a giant by the way he yeah. is six seven yeah uh, like what the fuck okay yeah. i'm feeling things um <laughs> but like King somebody somebody that can make you at like six four six five feel small. <laughs> literally, literally, he makes me feel tiny. It's like, I like, yeah, horny for King. Even though King mm-hmm. only speaks in Jaguar roars, that's another thing. Tekken, all these characters from around the world speak in their own languages, and everybody understands each other, including the bears. Yep. <laughs> the including the bears and king and armor king who speak in jaguar roars wow. even though they're they're mexican and they could be just speaking spanish like miguel but no right. because they're wearing jaguar masks they speak in jaguar roars and everyone knows what they're talking about <laughs> it is so camp it is Ugh. but like yeah king makes me weak and mm-hmm. seeing his uh Tekken 7 render uh is making me feel things right now. <laughs> I and, love... and and special special shout out to Armor King who is essentially king but like mm-hmm. in a more flashy costume. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's basically you could basically combine them as like both of my number 2 because they're basically the same character Here. design but you say correctly that armor king is a little more flashy and has a little more flair to him a little more camp a little more of a costume i mean, I mean, I mean <laughs> it's, if we're talking about camp his tekken king armor king's tekken 7 outfit is camp it's like <laughs> he's wearing like a jacket with like a feather boa type thing drooped mm-hmm. down his whole body i'm just and yes. chain, chains and spikes i'm like this <laughs> this guy is bringing the camp the drama and the the pizzazz yeah, which i love like, and, and, which ties into their wrestling pers- into their wrestling persona exactly and i love that so much because he's like combining like the the bdsm with like the chains and the spikes and the leather with like the glamour and like the, the showgirl with the fucking feather boa and shit. yeah like it's, it's so incredible so yeah king's my armor my number one king's your number two so Who's we your have number... my number Wait, one's, who... my number two is marduk Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And my number one is King. So, right. Who is your number one? <laughs> you Warang? already know who my number one is. Yes, of course. It's Warang and uh, his beautiful biker, orange hair. His beautiful slicked back orange hair. In Tekken 6, I have customized him to have 
slicked back highlights. He looks incredible. <laughs> <laughs> he is just the Taekwondo aficionado. The Taekwondo aficionado who can do incredible things with his legs and his, <laughs> legs flam- are... <laughs> his flamingo stance. Yes, his legs are on the menu. Um, he is he... Naomi Small serving <laughs> legs. He's just incredible. Like he was the reason that Tekken Three became my Your favorite. Game. Yeah, exactly. Became my game. Tekken became my fighting game series. Like he's my main. Um, I was immediately drawn to the Tekken 3 first player costume of him being in a gi. Like, I was always like in with fighting games because I was like into martial arts when I was younger. I was like so into immediately drawn to characters that were like in the gi because that's oh, that's me, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I can put myself, I can put myself into that character and. Yeah, I've since then I've just been so attracted to Horang and his different pers- like his different outfits, his different looks that he serves, and like just who he is as a person. He's a military guy. He's a street rebel. He's part of the resistance against the g corporation and mishima zaibatsu um civil like war that they started he's like a main part of um tekken 6 in that regard because he's part of Mm -hmm. like the resistance and like the scenario mode that you play um but yeah i mean tight jeans biker leather chaps crop crop tops open chest vests open chest geese he's just so sexy like that's my gay bf <laughs> i i think you hit exactly what i like about huarang i think he's an honorable mention for me Ugh. um like he's so intertwined in he's one of the few, he is one of the few characters that actually intertwines into the mishima story with Jin mm-hmm. being his mm-hmm. rival yep. uh and he really he he is like a hot-headed like kind of guy but he he like king he has a heart of gold like in tekken yep. 7 even when jin is in his devil form huarang after beating him jin or huarang actually saves jin from a a grenade and that's why yep. in tekken 7 uh huarang uh, has an eye patch like he yep. it there like huarang is the hot the hot-headed fireball very fitting with his orange hair like <laughs> like there which is which is dyed orange by the way yeah in second uh, seven he goes back to his black. original hair color of black with the orange streak yeah he's, <laughs> he, but he's still he's still a feisty little guy with keeping Ugh. that little streak so hot. But, like i think you hit the uh nail with the hammer or whatever that saying is like <laughs> i think yeah i mean whoring i think he is like there's there you know i said before like he is tech like huarang is tekken you can't have tekken without huarang and, and you know in many ways he kind of replaced his master in the roster with bank and hard. and i think for the better too i think huarang is a fast of a wonderful character mm-hmm. he adds he, in many ways he adds like a youth to the roster that yeah and we'll get it to like tekken 3 but like there you really can't say enough about huarang 
I think uh, if I were to, if Waring's my honorable mention, I think the other one would be Steve Fox. Steve Fox absolutely deserves all of the honorable mentions. He's incredibly beautiful. He looks just like his mother, Nina Williams. Yeah. Then that story the... is like a drama, like she being. Oh my God. Artificial. She being cryogenically and, frozen and tested yeah, upon to and create. Inseminated, like, ugh. and, you know, he's this amazing boxer. And like, mm-hmm. and I love how I'll get to it. Uh, spoiler uh, uh, Anita is on the list of my babes but <gasps> spoiler alert <laughs> <laughs> but like Steve Steve is a wonderful character again like he has been in every game since his introduction in 4 he's mm-hmm. a truly unique character to play as since he doesn't have like kicks really he has just swaying and sidestepping as his main sort of kick move so to say mm-hmm. yep. and Steve also being a very overpowered character in Tekken 4 and 5. Um, oh, totally. Like, to the point where, like, I think in Tekken 5, allegedly he was, like, the must-pick or else you were, like, the only way to beat Tekken 5 Steve is to pick Nina, which is very fitting. <laughs> um, But, speaking of women, uh, let's move on to the babes. Uh, who is your number five female? Wait. I would also like to shout out just how hot the Mishima men are. Just oh yes, because because they didn't make my list, but like Jin obviously is an honorable mention. Kazuya is oh yeah, clearly an honorable mention. Scars and, all over that body. Oh my god, I want to feel those scars. <laughs> <laughs> like, even Jim uh, Pot, even Jim Pachi and Haihachi. Are, oh, exactly. I was just gonna say, Hey Hachi is like the hottest old man I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> they 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 didn't have to make him a fucking bruiser, but you know what they did, and give him they like the, the sick the sickest costume in seven, like yes. that like samurai like half samurai half dojo master outfit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love how in like the early games he's wearing those like. Uh, those like wooden those like wooden sandals yeah the wooden sandals (laughs) in Tekken 4 in Tekken 4 where he is the final boss he is walking out in a fundoshi like bare chested with his ass out I'm just like Uh, okay well then Hmm, let's talk let's let's discuss this (laughs) yes we had we yeah I just we couldn't move on without like mentioning how attractive the four like the three four main Hey, like Mishima men are like they're just okay. beautiful. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> to move on from men, let's talk about women. So who is your number five Oof. woman? Uh, Ling Jiayu. I think she's, she's just she's so my cute. number three. She's my number yeah. three. I think she's just so cute and so fun and just I and love that she's too. like extremely unique. I love that her like sidekick is Panda. Panda. <laughs> who is also so adorable like i love that they added a female skin to the kuma character yeah um and like, i just love that she's like jin's like fag hag like best literally. friend <laughs> so much to the in the i believe in tekken 5 like her story is she wants to undo the bad things in the mishima family to make a time machine like uh she is just adorable as can be and uh, 
her move set is unique with like a lot Incredible. of her back- backwards moves like mm-hmm. she technically is like a variation of chinese martial arts but like there's no denying uh her place in the series she is a must have for any tekken game she's yep. ever since her introduction in 3 she's been in every game like the twin the twin uh ponytail like Ugh. in the chi- like in a way she kind of feels like tekken's chun li in a way yes precisely but, but totally. like more but more cute and like spunky and i i adore her so much uh my number yeah, five she, is she just reminds me of like a like a j-pop artist like you know what i mean like mm-hmm. she's just a pop star she's just a queen i love her yeah exactly so my number five is anna anna love. williams yes. uh sister anna is definitely on my list anna sister to nina uh, who is constant? Who the two of them are constantly bickering and fighting with each other. <laughs> uh, Anna's story constantly, where she is, uh, the way she wands up her sister is taking all the men's with her. Uh, Tekken Five, like she, her ending is her like, <laughs> where she like her and her sister in a in a movie about their constant bickering, and she, they it's like Soul Caliber too. It's like. Mm-hmm. They have a final strike, and and Anna's final strike derobes all of Anna's clothing, and she just Ugh. it's it's great. And even they add some like drama to it all in like Tekken Seven, where Anna's supposed to get married after she's retired, and it's like Nina kills her fiance. Mm-hmm. It's there. There is some very high drama with the two of them, and I think Anna is again she is a mainstay from the day day one and you can't have tekken without anna i think even though she she's been kind of relegated to like dlc in later games like tekken 7 she was a dlc character but you can't have you can't have tekken without anna in some capacity no because that's so tragic she's such like a like the just the Williams sisters are so just so important to the game. Like I'm, it's sad that she's been relegated to DLC because she should just be included in all Tekken games. So true. Now, <laughs> who's your number four? Uh, my number four is the matriarch June Kazama. Oh, she's not on my she's, list. June is uh, just so adorable, so beautiful, and so pure at heart. Um, I just love the fact that she's just this nature conservationist who wants to take on the Zaibatsu because we've, you know, we, we've mentioned already in this episode, but because she hates the fact that Kazuya was experimenting on animals and she just has such a love for animals, but just the fact she's just so like, I don't know. She's just so beautiful and pure and i just really was drawn to her character and her um move sets the the um the kazuma style of martial arts that she trained uh, jen in with all of the you know the the flipping kicks and all of these you know like martial arts is like a discipline instead of like an aggressive thing i just i think she's just a pure beautiful soul and i think that's why she's makes my list yeah i mean you nailed it on the head 
I mean, I can't really say more. She's, She's just so graceful. Yeah. Like, and like King, she is one of the true pure hearted, good people in the series. And mm-hmm. uh-huh. Like I just, yeah. I mean, she's an honorable mention for me, but nice. uh, my number four is technically like a tie because the two characters okay. are more or less, more or less the same. It's Michelle and Julia Chang. Love. Um, Michelle being the mother and Julia being the daughter, the adoptive daughter, both are mm-hmm. uh, Native Americans with Michelle being part Hong Kong anese or whatever the term is. Uh, and I love how they have this 90s environmentalist aspect to them where they just want to <laughs> get their they just want to get their forest back in Arizona. <laughs> like and I more or less love them uh i love just i love they're very simple i mean granted like michelle and julia are very tied with the mishimas as they want to like infiltrate their the company and be able to uh get the data to reforest their land mm-hmm. but i love how my love for them more or less comes down to their designs like i love yes. it's very 100 percent it's very like chic and modern. Like they have always the one feather on their headdress. Like it's exactly, yeah, that's exactly the look that like drew me in the one, like the feather, the glasses, the dark Brown hair, the cowboy the, boots. Yeah. The cowboy boy boots, the short shorts. Like that's why they're like my, one of my like honorable mentions. It's basically like a tie as well for me. So, I mean, I it, this is like the one case I think where it's like I love the aesthetics of these two Ugh. so much that like yeah. they make it onto the list purely because of that. Yeah. And they're also they're really fun to play because they're really like they're, they're really strong sets, characters. Yeah, they're extremely strong. Their movesets are powerful. Like they have powerful um punch and like kick combinations that are like unparalleled to a lot of the female characters in the game they're extremely so, strong so much so that michelle and julia in tag tournament one are considered like i read that they're considered one of the best picks in the game like mm-hmm. you know we love our strong beautiful women uh, <laughs> uh we already said my number three which was Xiao Yu. so who is mm-hmm. your number three uh, my number three is Christy Montiero. Uh, well, she's my number one. The uh, dancing queen diva, of Brazil. Diva. My God. She is absolutely fucking stunning in her, like, bikini top and her, like, flared, like, sexy-ass, like, capoeira pants with, like, the ties up the side. Like, she is a goddess that's like one of the most beautiful women characters ever created in video games yeah i mean oh my god (laughs) like like, again she has the same effect to uh michelle and julia where her aesthetic presence is so strong Mm -hmm. it's like you have to put her in the list yeah you have to and i mean she's more or less an eddie clone like her moves are basically identical to eddie like eddie Mm -hmm. and her are the two capoeiras and her story i cannot believe i'm so sorry i cannot believe that neither of us mentioned how attractive eddie gordo is. oh yeah yeah. (laughs) eddie 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 is an honorable mention like the the, the cheetah the cheetah the cheetah jacket like 
or like eyebrow ring and like nose ring and his like dreads pulled back like he is so fucking sexy (laughs) like sorry (laughs) no 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 no. it's i think like two beautiful characters who essentially Mm -hmm. are connected to each other because eddie when eddie got imprisoned for uh fault like for killing his father which wasn't the case and eddie learning capoeira from an old man in prison who happens to turn out to be christy's dad or grandfather i can't remember Mm -hmm. uh like the 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 two of them are very connected to each other like in tekken 4 which was christy's introduction yep she's all her main goal is to find eddie uh which they do and it's a case where it's like I literally think Christie's aesthetic presence is so powerful that like Ugh. you for me, she is the most beautiful Tekken character they've ever made. No. And it, it's a shame that she's not in seven. I guess like you can't there's always this debate in fighting games where it's like you can't have like clones of each like in Smash Brothers, there's like Fox and Wolf are like clones of each other or Yeah, and Falco. It, yeah. Yeah, like um it's like I I understand from that point why you can't they don't want to have like Christy and Eddie taking up spots like I get mm-hmm. that but like I hope Tekken 8 has her like she's she's so stunning like her just like bronzed perfect skin like her gorgeous face like her fed like her hair is just like perfectly like lays on her like shoulders and like just the way that she moves and the way she, that she dances like she is stunningly beautiful like i cannot imagine a female character in video games being more beautifully created than christy like she's just like like yeah, yeah i mean stunning stunning it yeah, I mean, there's nothing really else to say about Christy. I mean, there, <laughs> she is my go-to other than King. Like, mm-hmm. capoeira fighting is fun fighting in Tekken. It is. Yeah, no, so, it's so fun. Uh, so who is your number two? <laughs> my number two is the blonde bombshell in the cat suit herself, Nita Williams. Me too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Man, I can't wait to hear who your number one is then. Well, Chris, well Chrissy is my number one. Oh, shit. Hell yes. I, like, Nita Williams is just like... You can't go wrong with a blonde bombshell assassin. You can't. Like, she's just so hot. And like, she's the femme fatale like she is like the perfect model character for like a strong sexy badass woman and like she's only like in my opinion nobody can outdo her except for her sexy ass sister anna williams who's my number one <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like nina i love nina has become like a very she gets she's very much entwined in the grand story of it all with the Mishimas mm-hmm. as working with the Mishima Zaibatsu later in the series, but and then being Steve's mother, like yep. she is cold hearted bitch. And you know yep. what? Work, Diva, work. Yeah. 
yeah, she's uh, arguably the most important female character in the entire game, like the entire story of Tekken, like despite, you know, the the family, the family influence or like the family story with like June and like, um, why does why does the mom's name always escape me? Uh, Nina's uh, mom? No, no, no. Uh, the Mishima, the Mishima mom. I don't know yeah, why her K- name always Kizu- escapes me. Kazumi? Kazumi, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other than like Kazumi and June, obviously, like Nina is like the Tekken female and she's like just the most incredible character. She's so gorgeous. She's so important to the game that she had her own spin-off game created. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> it's a, a spin-off game that like is so yeah, it's not even like it it's kind of like when they take the Tekken Force mini game and turn it into like a full game but they're like who do we do it with and it's like nina and it's called death by degrees yes like uh it's it's incredible that like and that proves her staying power mm-hmm. i mean i just i'm like yeah, and it pr- just and it just proves her popularity to the series and like how important she is like guys everywhere are playing as this beautiful bomb blonde bombshell femme fatale assassin and so much to the point where they created their own her own like game Game. like it's just yeah Uh, yeah i mean gamers are misogynists just kidding they're playing as beautiful blonde women (laughs) yeah you know how you win straight guys and gay guys gamers all around just make beautiful women for god's Mm -hmm. sakes But Proven because we are showing how important and how much we love women with these top five lists. <laughs> I have to prove in the first four episodes my misogyny. I have to prove that I'm not actually a misogynist. I'm a feminist. Deep down. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but your number one is Anna, right? My number one is Anna because yeah. she is just so absolutely stunning. It's unbelievable, especially because. I've been playing Tekken 6 so much lately that her character in Tekken 6, like her design and style is just glamour over the top. And Mm -hmm. I'm in love with her. Giant buxom, like, you know, buxom brunette with huge boobs, super curvy and so sexy. She's just like classic. She's giving like classic Hollywood, but also like so modern and like like feminist and sexy like she's just empowered and beautiful and she i love her i love her so much yeah i mean what else is there i mean the williams sisters have endured for 30 years because of her for a reason you know but yeah people love a sisterly rivalry like that Yeah, and they're so bitchy too they're so bitchy like tekken one the ending is Anna says, Anna's like, you stole my shoe. And Nina's like, no, I didn't. And then she slaps Anna and makes her cry. And then Nina's like, oh, yeah, I took the shoe, actually. (laughs) It's so bitchy, but I love it. It's so camp. Like, and it's so real, too. Like, sisters stealing each other's clothes. Like, that's such a real fucking thing. And it stems from the fact that the two, like, Nina, like, thought that her dad liked Anna more. Like yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so ridiculous, <laughs> but 
I think I think we covered the whole Tekken series pretty broadly, but I want to cap off tonight's episode with arguably the most important entry in the series, which is mm-hmm. Tekken 3. Mm-hmm. We'll break there. I got to piss real bad. Yes, me too. <laughs> We're going strong. I love this. Me too. This is so fun. <laughs> All right, I'll be I'll be right back. Okay, me too. Hey, Callie. What's up, baby girl? Hi. Hey, Callie. Callie, what's your thought on Tekken? Uh, she loves Tekken. <laughs> it's my favorite game. <laughs> I love it. She's based. Mm. She is so based. <laughs> it's my favorite game portraying an incestuous father-son love story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, huh, Callers. So, to cap off the Tekken-thon, the Tekken marathon, mm-hmm. I decided that we should focus our ending on Tekken 3, which arguably is the biggest entry in the series. Right. Uh, the so, one that kind of, like, really puts it, like, on, on the, the map. map. The one that, like, really solidifies the f- what the game is about and what the story is about. Yeah. So, Tekken 3 came out in Japan in the arcades on March 20th, 1997, mm-hmm. and it eventually came to PlayStation in America on April 29th, 1998. Uh, it is our, It pretty much was the biggest entry in the series before Tekken 7 finally beat it within the last year. Uh, really, this game put Tekken on the map. I mean, Tekken arguably was the PlayStation oh, fighting series uh even before Tekken 3 Tekken had become the PlayStation fighting franchise but more or less like Tekken 3 really changed the game it Tekken really took some bold steps it it's actually set in 18 years after uh the events of Tekken 2 it introduced the mm-hmm. whole basically a new generation of characters it had a multitude of modes such as like Tekken Ball uh, yep. Which was a fun little mode playing beach volleyball with characters, which actually in which be... you can unlock the dinosaur. Yeah, gone. 
Yes, come on. Uh, and then there's they in- included Tekken Force, which is like a a uh like a beat 'em up old old school arcade beat 'em up. Like it's it's really got everything, and it's got a whole 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 sort of new characters, such as. Mm-hmm. As we mentioned, like Brian Fury, uh, Huarang, Julia, uh, Jin, uh, Ogre, Zhao Yu. You know, you have other characters like Mokujin or Gon or Eddie. Like, which for a second, can we talk about Mokujin? Like, what in the (laughs) fuck? Like, what is that? Like, I've. I've never really taken the time to delve, like, to dive into what that is. Other than, like, he's a character that mimics everybody else's move sets. But, like, what is he? I I really think he's more or less just to be a joke character. Like, <laughs> I mean, granted, though, like, Tekken 3 has, like, joke characters with Kuma and Panda. Right. Like... It's not like there was an Orgon or or Dr. Boskanovich. Like, yes. It's not like these games were absent of joke characters. It's just like Tekken developers, I think, just like throwing in a crazy idea of a character that can mimic other characters' moves. It's like, well, why? It's like a, yeah, he's like a, like a training, like a karate training, like stump that you like beat up and like fight. But like it comes to life, like it's the most bizarre thing in the world. It's, it really is so off the walls, and you know it. It felt like the culmination of the previous two entries in the series, where mm-hmm. those games had sort of been building up to something big, and Tekken Three mm-hmm. is that result. Where, yeah, in terms of gameplay, they fully introduced the sidestep mechanic. They've yep. increased player moves by a big chunk. Yeah, like they've really stepped up the game. I mean, even the graphics took a big leap forward from the sort of primitive, blocky characters to basically something that looks pretty realistic in my eyes like these character models no longer look kind of like approximations of humans now they mm-hmm. kind of, they look basically human like and they move you know very human like you know obviously like eddie for example who's animated so detailed and so perfectly yeah. like it really shows this big big jump from the previous entry i mean i think Tekken 2 and 3 had like a two-year gap which was a pretty big gap back in the day like Mm -hmm. yeah because they were pumping out games like every year basically yeah like Tekken 2 came out like eight months prior to Tekken or Tekken 2 came out eight months after Tekken 1 like they they pumped out that sequel pretty quick to capitalize but like they took their time to really stew and think how can we make Tekken even better and I think the time jump in this game kind of exemplifies it because they introduce a ton of new characters. Pretty much all of the roster is new characters. Granted, they're kind of the same. They're similar entities of previous entries. Like Julia is like her mother, Michelle, or Huarang's kind of like yeah. Beck, Beck, or Jin is kind of like a like Kazia, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Or Forest Law is identical to his dad, Marshall, Marshall Law. Yeah, like it's it's new characters but they still feel like new or the same characters you've been grown accustomed to 
But right. I, what I love about Tekken 3 is they kind of amp up the sort of story stakes in a way too, because you know, obviously there's the introduction of Jin into the Mishima storyline where, mm-hmm. you know, it has his mom getting killed tragically by Ogre, who's the king of king of fighting or the god of fighting. And yep. Hihachi wants to utilize Ogre to sort of, in a way, to beat Kazuya and the devil gene. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, it's a very... It's got like it's not to say like the previous entries in Tekken didn't have depth. No, there is depth now, but like Tekken three just has like the state, the budget, and the confidence to sort of go there when it comes to making it an exciting experience. Like right, uh, yeah. It says like it says like yeah. This Tekken one and two. This is the story. Tekken three. This is how it. You know. This is how it all like begins and then also this is how we're going to continue it like it it plays off of like the story of Tekken 1 and 2 with the Heihachi Kazuya like storyline but then it also begins to expand it into something even grander yeah it's because you know like PS1 games I mean depending on the genre like JRPGs had that scope and scale but it's like Tekken mm-hmm. was able to adapt that scope and scale to a fighting game right and you can even see this in the like ending cutscenes for the arcade modes of various characters where it's not it's not like 15 seconds of something very basic like you have for example like Eddie you learn about how he learns the truth about who killed his dad and it's mm-hmm. not it's actually uh Kazuya is responsible for this and he has a new motivation. Yep. Or even like Gunjack uh had like, <laughs> like befriends this girl because this Gunjack who's a robot wants to feel emotion and protects this little girl. Like they are able to sort of take the it's almost like they are able to amp the stakes up from the confines of a PS1 fighting game. Like you feel they they elevate the stories in our heads about these characters, like who they are, what they want, what they get, and they just cut they take it to a new level that felt so ahead of the time. Like uh I I playing Tekken 3 over the last three months, like even last night when I was just sort of like refreshing my memory it's like you play Tekken 3 and it feels so good like even today Mm -hmm. like a 1998 game feels it feels on par with the modern Tekken like it Mm -hmm. it has the sidestep it has all these sort of technical moves that you can do it has it has (laughs) like the environment or the fighting stage that's like quote-unquote like interactive and you can use like the the walls as like a quote-unquote weapon and like all of that yeah totally it's it's so i mean like it's it's a in the grand scheme of things like everybody points to tekken 3 you know Mm -hmm. the closest entry i would say on this level is tekken 5 but like Mm. even then you would everyone says tekken 3 is the one and i even for me it's Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Even I was even for me as a newcomer to the series, like I can't. I feel that 
that increase so to say like in many ways the the sort of modern tech and that we we see today even with seven comes from three the way mm-hmm. it plays the way it presents itself comes from three it is it is the like origin point for the whole series i agree and it's the game in the series in which all of the um other media that Tekken has created, whether it be a, a movie or the anime that was released on Netflix this year, like all of that stuff is centered around the story of the Tekken 3 game. The story of Heihachi and Kazuya, the battle between those two, and then introducing Jin as the son of Kazuya so introduce like the grandson into this family battle this family dynamic this family soap opera these this is the like most important entry in the um the Tekken series for sure like I totally agree it yeah like in a way Jin becomes Jin becomes like the greatest the biggest introduction inclusion in the series because he kind of sets off the sort of ginormous power struggle triangle in the family whereas Jin more or less wants to eradicate the devil gene and the sort of i guess you could say evil that oversees the family from Hihachi and Mm -hmm. kazuya to an extent it's Mm -hmm. like Jin wants none of it he you know there's all in later games he always sort of has like flashbacks to his mom like june exactly like he adds this new layer to this to this grand scheme of things and even in tekken 3's like sort of canon ending where Jin fights true ogre the final boss yep and you know he's he's shot by haihachi because haihachi knows that he has the devil gene in him but Instead of killing Haihachi right there, Jin in his devil state just flies away to and, and goes into Tekken 4. He where he wants to get rid of anything Mishima in him, where he learns karate instead of the Mishima fighting style. Like right. It's <laughs> well well in the ending of the ending of Tekken 3, not only is um not only does Jin Jin defeat Ogre, but it within that Jin defeats True Ogre, and True Ogre turns into like this manifestation of his mother, who is yeah. like, "You have finally, you know, you have avenged my death." That kind of thing. Like you now know like who you are and like where you've come from, and now you know like within you lies not only this like devil gene but also within you lies this like beautiful pure being and this beautiful pure soul like that's that's like a huge part of like this drama and this soap opera of the Mishima Kazuma family is that yes there is inherent evil within all of these characters but there's also this deep-seated like 
beauty and goodness and pureness within them like Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like yeah the manifestation of his mother after he defeats true ogre is just like this beautiful thing like you finally have avenged my death you sought out your grandfather like i told you to you discovered who your father was you discovered who your true you know your true origin but you've also learned that you can control that evil that lives within you and despite that evil you can still do incredible beautiful things which (laughs) also just kind of leads into Tekken being like we've kind of touched on off and on throughout this entire episode is that yes you may you may be evil or you quote unquote may be gay or whatever the evil may be (laughs) but you are still this beautiful soul who can create incredible things and accomplish incredible things and just be you and that's all I needed and that's all I wanted and that's all June wanted for Jin was to recognize who he truly was and to accept it and I think that's a huge part of why Tekken is so beautiful especially Tekken 3 because because Jin gets to truly see and truly understand who he is as a person it's it's like Jin or you know it's like June is able to sort of steer the ship for Jin away mm-hmm. from being Kazuya the sequel, so to say. Like there's a very exactly. t- there's a very touching there's a very even though it's not like touched massively in the games, because you mostly these like ending cutscenes are like a minute long at most. Yeah. yeah. But like there's it's kind of a beautiful little moment it's like a breakthrough for the series that like even in the midst of a family that is constantly at war and at feuding with each other Mm -hmm. about who can control the world it's like june is able to sort of get Jin off of that path and it's Mm -hmm. i i love that tekken 3 even with its sort of I guess you could say the limitations of being a PS a PS one game. It still is able to convey all of that, and I think you know there's so many games on the PlayStation one that just are able to communicate with so little, you know, whether it be like JRPGs that are all text based or you know like Silent Hill or Resident mm-hmm. Evil. There's they're able to communicate a very touching or more in-depth story even with simple on on paper like a simple premise which a fighting game like a fighting Mm -hmm. game wouldn't have like a tender soft moment now would it like little do they know (laughs) literally (laughs) like it's it's just so yeah like the nuance of this family that has this devilish side within them be like recognizing like that there are things worth fighting for and things worth fighting for vengeance like 
Oh, it's 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 incredible. I'm sorry, I like cut you off, but like, no, it's no, so no, no, true. <laughs> like it's like Tekken. I think this is the ultimate power that Tekken has as a large scope franchise that never sort of looks back on itself. Like to do like a, uh, we're gonna do a Tekken one two point five story to tell the story in between games. It never does. It never goes backwards. It never reboots itself. It, yeah, these early games still are valid in the eyes of the creators. So yeah. much so that in like Tekken Seven, they reuse cutscenes to sort of interject pivotal moments. It's like I don't know. It's you can tell that like Tekken Three, for example, is so crucial and important. Not just or just Tekken as a as a franchise and. I think it speaks volume to its staying power as a game mm-hmm. that so 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 many people fondly look back on it like just the insane things that it let you do not just even in the camp in the arcade mode but just oh hey here's a game mode that lets you practice juggling attacks with Tekken ball ball or ball or yep. you can have this mode that lets you just whack away at enemies for with powerful moves and Tekken Force. I mean, yep. or have you know the survival battle or the team versus battle. Like, I think why Tekken Three is sort of the peak of the series is that it just had conviction and a and a vision for the series going forward and. Mm-hmm we see the results of this where every game still follows that game's footsteps in some way, whether it be story or gameplay or features, it's like Tekken three is the sort of gold standard to follow. Yeah. And that also uh, transfers to their film and their um, like television slash anime like series like the the films kind of center around even though they're not very great like the Tekken films are centered around at least they start at like the Tekken 3 and I was re-watching the Tekken the uh, Bloodline um, mm-hmm. anime that they just recently released on Netflix I've seen it now twice all the way through and the Tekken Bloodline anime on Netflix is directly centered around the Tekken 3 story. And I rewatched it and for, you know, getting ready for this episode. And it, it follows that story so well and so um, dramatically. It's like perfect for anime. It's perfect for streaming and like for a um, television series because it just so well encapsulates what is happening within the game. And I mean, it just relates so perfectly to the television screen, like the introduction of Jin Kazama as like a teenager who is quote unquote, like bullied Mm -hmm. and kind of made fun of and for you know that we've touched on him being like the emo boy who like kind of just lives alone with his mom and like a uh, a nature reservation who is actually you know tied to one of the most powerful 
corporations, if not the most powerful corporation in the entire world. And like him finding out who he really is. Like, it's just like, I don't know. It's just like fits so perfectly with the tone of Tekken 3, the game. And it's just such a nice way for people who are not necessarily familiar with the game, but have heard about it and are, you know, somewhat familiar with it, but haven't played it. It's a nice way for them to get into it. And I think it's easily accessible to most people. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend watching it. It's on Netflix, um, Tekken mm-hmm. Bloodline. It's really, you know, it's like six or seven episodes. It's really easy to watch and really easy to digest. And it covers the whole story pretty well. And there's a reason that, you know, the creators of that anime chose check Tekken 3 because Tekken 3 is the one like you yeah like you've said i mean it's the one it's the most important game because it's kind of just introduces what this power struggle is within the mishima family the mishima slash kazuya family or excuse me kazama family it's all... <laughs> i'm sorry no, it's, it's fine slash kazuya there's so many names and so many kazuma other family yeah but I think it's just like the perfect. I there's just there's just a reason that Tekken Three is always covered, and it's because it just introduces all these characters and introduces the you know the struggle between the grandfather, the father, and the son, the Holy Trinity, <laughs> quote unquote, <laughs> the Holy Trinity of like gaming and fighting games, and this like incestuous like father son daddy granddaddy like gay queer coded (laughs) (laughs) power struggle i mean damn if you didn't put it better i don't think i could have put it any better (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i don't know what else is there to say i mean i think tekken 3 I, I mean, I'm, I've had a lot of drinks, so I'm like, brain functions are dying. Same. <laughs> but I think to close, not just Tekken 3, but Tekken as a whole series, it's this series has endured, like, Virtual Fighter has fallen to the wayside. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so obscure. Yeah. yeah, like, Tekken is the 3D fighter, and Tekken has become such a cultural footstone for a reason it's Mm -hmm. it has the tight technical rewarding gameplay it has the drama the conflama story (laughs) that just never that never stops and never keeps delivering everything you ever want in a game like this and i think i can't speak highly enough of this series i think everybody should play I think every entry in the series has something to offer for you. I mean, I think Tekken 7 even is a great entry point because it includes all the cutscenes from earlier games. It even has story summaries. So if you ever need to catch up and you don't have older systems, like Tekken 7 is a great entry, but I highly recommend if you have a PS1, 2, 3, like to get these games, play them. And, well, I think that's where 
uh i'll wrap it up i can't thank you enough brian for tonight i think we covered uh, everything <laughs> that is tekken that we could and so i, I can't think so. enough. <laughs> i mean I this episode think... is like over three hours almost <laughs> almost getting to like four so I'm... i think we did uh, it we yeah, did it joe we did it we did it and I literally could just keep going and going and going. Like, I'm just so thrilled to (laughs) have been included in like the, you know, the ground floor of the third place. And like (laughs) to be included in like the first five episodes of your show, Sam, is just like such an honor. And to be able to like talk about like my gaming experience as, you know, as limited as it is, but like, I feel like as I've shown over the last, you know, three, four hours, however long we've been talking, (laughs) despite the fact that I'm not quote unquote, like a gamer, I still am moved and um, enraptured by like what video games are and what they can provide. And I think Tekken is just such a great example of that. Like I just, I feel like I, yeah, I just feel like my life has changed or I have changed because I got to play and experience the Tekken games. Like they've just moved me and they've just, they've entertained me. They've moved me. They've made me feel all the feels <laughs> and they're like relatable and nuanced and genuine and real. Like they express all human emotions. They show that, you know, despite being a quote unquote, like bad character, you might have some good intentions, whether it be, you know, Jin Kazama, like releasing Azazel because the world is in despair just so he can beat them and prove that you know we can prevail over the darkest of evils and like mythological and spiritual entities we can still defeat them whether it be you know the power struggle between a father and son whether it be you know just sisterly rivalries whatever it is like Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tekken touches on all of the emotions, whether it be, you know, your family was killed because of the government or some paramilitary corporation waging war in your homeland, you can still exact revenge and still come out on top like it's it's wild like literally yeah like it's so insane like how many things Tekken the game series touches on and it's just so realistic um and genuine and like expresses just real human emotion like it's just mind-boggling to me yeah no I mean I think you nailed nailed it again and so (laughs) I want to say one last time, thank you, Fryan, for tonight. Mm. It's been an absolute absolute joy. (laughs) We will work to see about getting you back on. Please. And I think this is a great point to cut it right there.